that 85% of your engine wear occurs at startup? Yes, that is correct. And this is where lower the friction comes in by putting a protective lubricating barrier on all moving parts. This now gives you full-time protection to make your engine last longer, run smoother, give you better performance, and improve fuel economy. People across the country are reporting some very exciting results. Go to lowerthefriction.com, place your order, and enter in promo code SOS to get 5% off of your order. That's lowerthefriction.com. Well, hello, one and all. Welcome to the weekly Secrets of Saturn livestream. I am Jason Lindgren, your host. Joining me tonight are the one and only... Wayne McCroy, Crochable 7, and the great Baldini. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, it appears that the YouTubes went down for a short while, and uh, I saw panicking at the disc of over that, but we appear to be on now. If, uh, if anything screwed up, by all means, in the chat room, let me know. Hopefully everything is working well in the home of Gravy Jesus tonight. I see a strong signal and all that good stuff. So let me know if anything's messed up. If not, we shall proceed. Anybody got any opening things they want to talk about before we get into tonight's document, which is titled Rebooting Democracy? Seems an appropriate topic right about now. Oh, yeah, it's definitely an appropriate topic right about now because that's basically the uh, big news all over the place right now is this whole uh, election fraud thing. Yeah. And let me just give you a little hint here, folks. 
every election is fraud. What? It's not a shocker. All right. Good night, everybody. We've done all <laughs> And that's it. Have a good one. Thanks and good night. <laughs> Yeah, We're done here, <laughs> and we've got some robust documents uh, to prepare. Oh, we sure do. <laughs> In case you're feeling underbanked and anti-fragile. <laughs> yes, we can't have any anti-fragility here. That's that's for sure. That's for sure. Well, guys, before you jump in, I'm going to mute out for about ten or fifteen minutes to get my video all queued up so I can get the show out by midnight. So I'll be back on shortly. Okay. Oh, by the way, we didn't get a link for this document for one and all. Would anyone like to do that while I start? Actually, take a coin, just send it to me. Let me see. Here, I got it. I'll put it in there. Well, you have a, a link to somewhere out in the World Wide Web? Yeah, Wayne always sends me that. There it is. It's in chats. Actually, someone should test that because I didn't click it. Right, let's find <laughs> out. Somebody click on the link and let us know if it works, please. Uh, no, it does not. So we need we need nope. an actual location for where it is out in the uh, the universe there. Yeah, see, here's my thing. When when I find these documents, I just snatch them up in PDF form and uh, download them so I have a record of them. Uh, so I'm really not 100% certain where it came from. If I had to guess, though, I would say go to AtlanticCouncil.com and try on there. All right, let me get it for everybody. Right, I'll be back in about 10 or 15, guys. All right. All right. Bird guy will be back. Let's see if this is the same one. I'll make sure we're on the right page. Yes, this is Guide to Reinventing Politics. I don't think that's it. Nope, that is not it. All right. It should, it should be called Democracy Rebooted, the Future of Technology in Elections. Democracy Rebooted. I got it. Yeah. You found a link? There it is. Oh, here, oh, yep. here it is. Yep. Atlantic Council. All right, let me get that. That is working. I got it. Okay, it's good. in the chat. Yep. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So here is for you guys. I'm probably going to be reading a lot tonight, so if I miss questions, uh, maybe someone else can catch it for me. Uh, let's put it in the D Live. Hello, D Live. By the way, did you enjoy the show with Big Bear this week? What? You didn't know? Big Bear was on Crow Triple Seven this past week. Check it out. It was a great conversation. That's grisly. Waha. <laughs> Jokes aren't going to get any better. <laughs> that big pause there. Oh, here we go. <laughs> and maybe we should address the election stuff for two seconds, by the way. Um, right now, you are indeed, to my knowledge, you are seeing the entirety of the mainstream media bullshitting the world. Because okay. as far as I understand it, from what I've been able to find... The election has, in fact, not been decided in any way, shape, or form. That's correct. And they in are fact, telling you, all the mainstream networks, that's the lefties and the righties, the CNNs, the Foxes, whomever, it doesn't matter. They are all telling you that Old Sniffer won. Old yeah. Sniffer did not win. No one has won. And encouraging, uh, you know, saying it's silly that uh, anyone should investigate uh, the idea of, of uh, fraud, and uh, which is remarkable since uh, there is fraud in every election. <laughs> well, that's beside the point. Uh, just addressing so this like, current don't, don't situation. Look, don't look. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, please, no, no, no please. don't go investigate, please, because, right. you know. You'll un uncover a, a giant can of worms that we don't want to have to deal with. Yeah, because they'd lose faith in the electoral process, and they can't have that, or people would realize that they're not really free, <laughs> that it's all a hoax, right? And 
uh, in fact, um, we talked about this, did Rose and I on uh, Poppycock Report yesterday, uh, indicating that, of course, all the media is doing that. And yet, <laughs> in the midst of all these um, uh, articles about how you, you shouldn't uh, believe anybody, there, it's unfounded accusations. Um, and there was somebody arrested in Atlanta for 134 counts of cannabis election fraud. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and that's just one person. <sighs> uh, so I was taking a look today. In fact, um, there was a uh, – I was kind of just looking at, at a bunch of different things. But um, Paul Romano from um, Pockets of the Future did a pretty good uh, – he, he did a pretty good analysis on uh, a reporter's breakdown of the, of the numbers. And the numbers certainly do indicate um, uh, out, uh, definitely outliers. Let's put it that way. Now, I won't get too much into it, but it's the information certainly out there. We can talk about it a bit more um, later on in the program. Uh, but some of the numbers are certainly outliers, especially uh, in what would be the the most hotly contested areas. Uh, and yeah. that uh, if those if those numbers, if they just threw them all out, right, just said, okay, all of these suspect ones from both sides were taken out, it would um, turn um, the results dramatically. In fact, uh, it would make it a very clear victory for um, the, the Republican Party. Now, again, I, I don't support either one. And I think the whole thing is a fraud. And um, Ceiling Fan Man and I have talked at length about this before it ever started, what the potential of the script looks like and so far it's following very closely to what we um anticipated so and it's not that we're psychic we've just seen we've just seen this stuff before and they were they've been telling us the whole time what it looks like and you know the, in the media what we should expect and um you know you follow the trail follow the bread crumbs and you know <laughs> and there you go so. right so yeah in case anybody hasn't figured it out yet this is the most blatant example of something that's in your face concerns a very large group of people, most people I would say, at least in the Western world especially, uh, you're seeing a lie told over and over and over again. And uh, they're not hiding stuff anymore, guys. They're literally giving us two middle fingers and saying, we control you, we rule you, we're gonna tell you what to think. And here's the big, 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 big thing that they're doing. They are stirring up the pot for such division and such chaos, and here's why. If after the election it had gone to Donald Trump, as it probably actually is going to, okay, the, the, the blues would have gone bonkers, and now they'd start to settle down. They'd just be doing what they did last year, screaming and yelling and hollering and crying and doing what they do, asking for a safe space. But that's not what they did, is it? What they no. did this time They did a was, Steve Harvey. Yeah, they gave it to Old Sniffer, told everybody Old Sniffer won, said that they're preparing transitions for Old Sniffer to take the White House, making sure there's plenty of things for him to smell. And guess what? It's not actually in any way, shape, or form true. So what's going to happen if indeed, and I, I'm, I'm not psychic either, I don't know. Sorry, I just whacked my mic. Uh, if indeed, this is where my part Italian comes out. I wave my hands around while I talk. So, <laughs> la puerta. Forget so, about it. Huh? <laughs> hey. <laughs> hey. You know what you call an Italian guy with one arm shorter than the other? He's got a speech impediment. Ah, hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I'm what's going to happen I now? You guys, I think you guys better stop joking about that, Kabish. Yeah. Hey. Hey. You know why Italians don't like Jehovah's Witnesses? They Italians don't like any witnesses. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Uh, the jokes surely are not getting better. No, no. they're not. But it, it's gallows humor because I didn't mean to derail what Jason was saying. It's super important. Keep going, Jason. Yeah, th this really is important because this is what I thought about right away. On election night or afterwards, let's say the next day because it usually 
happens the next day if everything is is clear cut. Uh, if it had gone to Donald Trump instead of Old Sniffer, they would have freaked out, and they would have just had to get over it like they did four years ago, and we would have more fun memes to play with. But that's not what they did. They announced it for yeah. Old Sniffer. It's yeah. now been going on how many days? I'm not even sure. Uh, what the third is the election? So, It'll keep going. It'll keep yeah, over going. a week now. Yeah. And what's going to happen if and probably when? They flip it to Donald Trump. Well, what's going to happen is those people are going to lose their freaking minds. They're going to go bananas. And all of these groups that are supposedly on that side, oh, my freaking goodness. I mean, we are going to yeah. see chaos. And so I'm just telling you guys, that's what well, I, I, I'm not, I don't make predictions because for all I know, I'll be wrong. And Old Sniffer will be put in and that'll be that. And if he does, that will be the next stage of the beer bug nonsense because he has yeah. made it very plain and clear that beer bug gets ramped up even though there's still nothing going on you poor canadians and you poor people in the uk and whatever other countries have got lockdowns already again with zero justification and absolutely nothing going on to give any word whatsoever that there is a freaking problem with people dropping dead in the streets and everything needs to be shut down they've locked your countries down again god help you people your economies are going to be shite and I'm sure they're going to try and do that to us again. But anyway, well, I have just, it on good just keep in mind from, that this could two. be happening, that we could be having major riots and things like that occurring. Because if they do flip the election, whenever that might be in the next few weeks, probably, it's going to be a big deal, especially if you live in big cities. Anyway, there's I have it on, you may on have the soapbox, Mr. Baldini. Uh, no, just quickly, um, from two independent sources, uh, neither of whom know one another, uh, and one is a Army reservist, and the other has, is a career um, Marine Corps guy who I have known for most of my life, I mean, since we were in school together, uh, and he's almost at retirement age, uh, age. <clears throat> and he had been posting um, several uh, things on social media for a number of weeks, uh, at least a fortnight before the election, um, kind of uh, hinting at the fact that they were um, to be, they were going to, the Marine Corps was going to be ready for. Uh, domestic deployment following the election. Oh, well, he kept saying toward the end of November. Uh, and uh, then I got it from somebody else who was the Army reservist and a younger guy uh, that they were told uh, not to make any plans um, before, you know, to, to, at, toward the end of November. They were not to make any plans for the month of November to go anywhere. And this was in August uh, that they were told that. So I came back to the guy that's in the Marine Corps and said, hey, um, let me ask you directly. And he wouldn't give me a direct answer, just sort of like yes or no. I had to sort of guess at it. But basically uh, that uh, anyone who was in the active service, uh, they are tied up. Up with uh, awaiting orders until the end of the year, hmm. uh, and not they're not allowing any to leave, and uh, they're being outfitted as though they're about to get deployed, but there's no orders being issued. Um, so he he confirmed that. So whatever for what it's worth, um, they're they're ready to go, and um, they've been um, on high alert uh, for the month of November and December, depending on if you're active or reserve. And now again, if somebody in the chat wants to to acknowledge that, but uh, two separate independent sources, and neither of which I you know, has any reason to be dishonest about it. Um, so anyway, for what it's worth, um, that, there's that. Well, just for the whole revelation of the method thing, the Secretary of State did say just, I don't know, a day or so ago, when asked about the old sniffer transition to the White House, he said, I'm not preparing for that. I'm preparing for a transition to a second Trump administration. Yeah. Uh, and recently, if that's Trump- not revelation of the method, I don't know what it is. They're telling you, the Secretary of State is telling yep. you that Trump is still going to be there. 
Now, and is that Trump cockiness because go. he's on his side? I don't know. But I'm just saying they like to tell us things ahead of time. So anyway. Trump let go Esper uh, as a secretary of defense and mm -hmm. replaced him with uh, a loyalist. And uh, following that, there were about a dozen high-level turnovers at the Pentagon. And Politico um, made a big stink about it. Uh, that he was uh, getting ready uh, – th that created concern at the Pentagon that he was getting ready to – take on domestic um, situation. Now, again, as uh, G.S. Jason pointed out, uh, if they if they do this script, and this is exactly what Ceiling Fan and Man and I basically said, is that they're going to tip the hat one way and then turn it around. And one of the really telling things here, and I'm, I'm curious as how this is going to play out uh, if they do this, is because they are basically, as with everything else, whether it's uh, the beer bug or, you know, pretty much anytime you question the mainstream narrative, uh, they're saying uh, the, the mainstream message right now is that you are crazy. If you um, think that there's anything wrong, uh, <laughs> anything amiss, and that there should be any investigation uh, into uh, fraudulent voting, and again, as we know, it happens all the time in every yeah. election, irrespective of whether you know it's the it's vote or die. It's the most important election ever, every time, uh, <laughs> right? So, so the you know, irrespective of that fact, that there's always something. They're they're saying that it, people are crazy if you think otherwise. So. Um, Again, interesting to see how that that will play out because that's just as concerning to me as the idea of um, Bill Gates saying, "Oh, the second wave will get their attention." To which Melinda laughs like a psychotic maniac, um, mm -hmm. and and he's overtly saying he put it in the context. He overtly said that that was um, connected to a bioweapon release. Uh, so if they do, uh, for example, release a bioweapon and say, "Oh, it's the second wave," all you crazy conspiracy theorists thought we thought it was a joke, huh? Um, you know, that's that's how they. Um, turn you know information into terrorism and they say anybody that uh, doesn't believe the mainstream narrative is a terrorist um they've already <laughs> pretty much said that in canada uh, the, the way that they've worded some things interestingly enough also is that um biden made s several announcements he called it a briefing uh, and used a seal saying it was the office of the vice of the president-elect uh, there is no such office and according to um 18 u.s code uh, segment 709 uh any use of a of a title or a mark uh, for an office that doesn't exist that gives the impression that someone has authority when they do not which is exactly what he's doing is punishable by federal law um so uh, he's already committed a federal crime I, uh, by I doing that that's specifically a violation of the logan act in particular yeah, uh, i think that's what that is but i looked uh, it up today you know, it's it's uh, 18 u.s code 709 is specifically where that uh, exists and it is um it's pretty comprehensive and what he and, and there is no office of the president-elect uh he's a private citizen until taking inauguration uh, irrespective of the fact that he's a former vice president still holds that title mm -hmm. um he cannot uh, use the mark uh or the title uh until that so um there is no such office so that's a federal crime just saying um, here's my take on this whole thing is because no matter which way that this whole thing does happen to go. And it would appear to me that this is exactly what they're doing is the whole bait and switch idea. They're telling you Sniffy the Wonder uh, zombie <laughs> is winning the election. He literally crapped his pants um, in public two years ago, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, they're telling you this guy wins the election. I think they're going to do the double reverse, and then all of a sudden all this stuff is going to actually come out that, uh, lo and behold, there is some fraud going on with the election, and Trump will... Uh, win the electoral college vote and have a second presidency uh, or a second term at presidency I should say right. but uh, here's the other thing and this is where it gets a little insidious is because if it does happen to turn the other way and they do get away with sneaking Biden into office then um, what's going to happen then is they're going to stage 
uh, some violent events and blame them on right-wingers and Trump supporters, and then they'll roll out the whole martial law idea and say, see, or either that, or if they don't do the, you know, the, the violence thing, the, uh, you know, the false flag violence thing, or should I say the disingenuous banner, uh, you know, violence thing, then they'll do the whole, uh, you know, quote unquote, second wave thing and uh, try to blame that on, you know, the right wingers, Trump supporters, anti-maskers, these anti-science people, the anti-vaxxers, you know, all those crazy conspiracy kooks mm-hmm. that were absolutely right about everything going on right now. Uh, but that's beside the point. Uh, but that's a coincidence. Yeah, you can see. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's just a coincidence, though. But. That's that's exactly the tact that they'll take with that. If they do happen, they get away with uh, pushing this through. Uh, because here's the thing: I live in Pennsylvania, okay. And I'm sorry, yeah, I battleground know. state for sure. But here's the thing, okay. Everywhere you go in Pennsylvania, you see at least five to ten times as many Trump supporters as Biden supporters everywhere. In fact, Biden had a rally just locally here. Uh, in the back mountain, the area where I live, just a couple of weeks ago, Biden had five around. empty jeeps. <laughs> no, here's the thing: he actually got friggin' Bon Jovi to come, and that was the only way he could get anybody to show up. And you know who showed up? <laughs> Trump supporters. More Trump supporters showed up than Biden. Wow. wow. Yeah, but he you... got friggin' Bon Jovi just so he could get some people to turn out. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I saw a bunch of videos that showed, you know, his car rallies, his drive-through rallies, uh, but they were all parked, all empty, and they were br- all brand new Jeep brand vehicles. And uh, he Man, has a contract with Jeep, so that's a weird coincidence. Weird coincidence, right there. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't know what to tell people if they, they really look at this whole election thing and think that any part of it is genuine in any way, shape, or form. Uh, like top to bottom, all, all elections are, are fraudulent. Uh, to begin with, because we're not really given a choice. And, you know, the example I like to give in this case is, okay, in the beginning of the election season here, during the primaries, the Democrats had 27, 27 choices. And in the beginning, you know, the grassroots Democrats, they were excited about guys like Bernie Sanders and that Pete Buttigieg and, uh, you know, what's the other one? That that, that Gabby, what was her name? Oh, Tulsi uh, Gabbard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tulsi Gabbard. That one. I don't know why I called her Gabby. Same difference. Whatever. Yeah. But anyway, there were people all excited about these yeah. candidates. Biden and never gets better than 5% in the primary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Precisely. That's the thing. But guess what? They got stuck with good old corn pop, didn't they? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then to tell people something right there about the whole election process. And his Veep, like, and his Veep pick never got more than 2%. I mean, she she right. was never even on the radar other than being unlikable. Uh, so yeah, yeah they, and even, it was the even, same. But it was the same with Trump in in um, you know 2016, right? He was right. the least likable of all the Republican uh, potential nominees, and yet uh, and and the most uh, vilified in the media, and and yet he got the tip. How does that happen, right? Every nobody wanted him. Uh, so again, the proof positive that that people don't have uh, any influence at all. Uh, in fact, even when Bernie Sanders did uh, the last couple of cycles, when he did generate some uh, enthusiasm, he got shut down by his own party twice. <laughs> and once again, Openly. asking you to donate more money. Yeah, to, to those I told you not to trust. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, you know, this might be more revelation of the method because, I, I mean, let's just be blunt here. 
Old Sniffer is called that by me, and, and I got that from, well, I made it up, but anyway, <laughs> he's called that because he's on camera over and over and over again being a child molester. I, and I, I love the, the hypnotized um, hardcore lefties who, who defend it. No, these beefs explained that. That's been debunked. He, he just he, 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 he's, he just was talking to them. And I, then I showed pictures of him, like video of him literally sniffing a baby. And I'm like, what conversation are they having? The most intelligent one he's had in a while. Yeah. The, it's, the poor guy just loves shampoo, guys. I mean, what could you say? Yeah. Gee, your hair smells terrific. Yeah. That's his favorite shampoo. <laughs> uh, so this seems to be the controllers the literally, once again, giving us two great big middle fingers and saying, you just voted for a pedophile. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, because let's let's not uh, forget that Trump is very creepy, even with his own daughter, <laughs> and has uh, has had numerous photographs taken of her in very very creepy uh, poses. It's a little and, It's a little Yeah, odd. and has said uh, if he was if she wasn't his daughter, he would date her. Uh, he did say that, from what I understand. He did say that. I I saw the clip. Uh, so uh, let, let's not let's not let's make no mistake that he he's no um you know I call him Cheeto Jesus. No offense to you with gravy Jesus, but uh, yeah he's um I call him the the orange tang. And I mean I have no love for the guy. It's it's all WWE wrestling. In fact, you know he's been uh, Trump was literally in the WWE wrestling ring. Got <laughs> he literally slide, did it. I got my orange crust. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> Literally did it. So um, if there's, you know, if there's any, any uh, question about what this is, that when the, the pol- you know, political theater is just that, it's political theater. Uh, yes. And in every case, and I did a, uh, looked at a study uh, just a few years ago that went back 150 years, and in every uh, major um, public policy issue, um, when they did actual polls, not like they do now, which is just make up numbers to tell you that you're wrong. Um, but when they actually did polls, uh, every single time, uh, they, uh, contravened the will of the people, uh, even though, even if the, the public perception or desire was 80% in one direction, the laws always got passed the opposite. They just did whatever the fuck they wanted to, and they continue to do so. And, and why people continue to believe it, um, that, you know, voting does anything. That was Mark Twain said, and he was a big revelator of the method, right? If, uh, if voting actually did any, if voting actually worked, they'd outlaw it immediately. Mm. So, all right. So, anyway, that's our our quick take on the whole thing going on. Just and the only reason we're doing it is just because not everyone has time to look into this stuff, and we try to do our best. And we're just giving opinions, but it's it's all based on facts. You can look up that uh, the election has not actually, in fact, been decided. That that is a fact. So that anyway. is a fact. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry and, and if some folks didn't at, like it. I'm sick of it myself. But uh, since we have a good and open-minded audience here, I thought we should at least talk about it for a few minutes since you're going to get bombarded with it anyway. I'd rather give you something that's not complete other bullshit. Yeah, exactly. You get, just take you know, look at facts and you can look up. Uh, everything that we've said so far is uh, certainly verifiable, including the fact that if you go back and look at, uh, as Wayne says in his state, uh, Pennsylvania – uh, that uh, despite people voting uh, that voted for Biden actually voted against Trump, and let's make no mistake about that, uh, that he generated very little excitement anywhere. Uh, he perform outperformed uh, both Obama and um, Hillary Clinton respectively uh, by almost no eighty thousand almost eighty thousand votes, which again is 
incredulous, uh, if anything. And these are all um, last minute votes, right? Uh, so nearly a million last minute votes in the state of Pennsylvania alone uh, that came in. Uh, well, again, just go look it up. You can find all the numbers are out there that you can find. Many places haven't done it, but but zero states have certified their election at all, have certified their numbers at all. So as Jason said, uh, nobody has, should have been declared the winner. No. Uh, and the only person doing so is the media. So if you, if you trust the media, <laughs> think again. <laughs> yeah, really. Not to mention the, um, you know, historic uh, voter turnout rate in the state of Wisconsin, 89.5% voter turnout rate. That's astounding, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> it's never and it's never been higher than what, like 70%. Something like that. All the way back yeah, to like the 1850s? That. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, the, the only state I would ever think would vote something? for Old Sniffer would be Crazy California. That's the only state I would ever believe that the guy actually won in. Yeah, we're in New York City, right? And again, many of them know, are voting man. against – they're voting against Trump. They've been convinced by the media of orange man bad. Uh, so, you know, they don't care who it is. They, you know, they say black lives matter, uh, right, and that they're in the Me Too movement, and yet they – you know, uh, vote for uh, old sniffer and uh, Kamala Harris, who has done, you know, and Biden supported. He was one of the front uh, guys for the crime bill. Right. So between Kamala Harris and the crime bill, they've incarcerated millions uh, of young black men in this country. Um, just it's it's remarkable that people are so short sighted. All right. Indeed. Anybody got any last words on that or do you want to move on to the document? I think I cut you off there, Wayne. This lag drives me nuts. Sometimes. No, I'm not. No, that's okay. I was going to say, I think maybe we should get into the document now because you'll see once we start getting into this document how some of these things become very relevant. So let's go ahead and get into it. Has Crow rejoined us yet or no? Okay. Not yet. So Democracy Rebooted, the Future of Technology and Elections. Well, it looks like we just saw that, didn't we? <laughs> okay, the acknowledgments. Let me make this a little larger because I can't see it very yeah, that's the joys of getting older. Hmm. I, I have had bad eyesight since third grade, fourth grade, something like that. All right. This report is the product of a series of conferences, roundtables, and discussions organized by the Atlantic Council on the issue of technology in elections. We want to recognize the critical input from the many thought leaders who participated in this initiative. Thank you to Dr. Francis Fukuyama and his team at the Center on Democracy, Development, and Rule of Law at Stanford that, University. That's for helping Francis, to, fuck you, Yama. <laughs> for helping <laughs> yes, to organize yes, the is. discussion with President Tumas, Tumas Ilves, Ilves mm -hmm. of Estonia, and about the country's unique experience with internet voting and governance. <clears throat> Oops, I just went too far. We are also thankful to the 25 executives from Silicon Valley companies who joined us for a roundtable on why technological disruption has yet to come to elections. Ah, well, we can tell this is written four years ago. Mm. <laughs> At our Washington, mm. D.C. conference, we are hugely appreciative of the participation of extraordinary speakers, including former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright, former Deputy Secretary General of the United States, Lord Mark Malach Brown, CEO and editor of the FP Group, David Rothkopf. Well, there's an interesting character. And vice president of public policy for Google, Susan Molinari. This paper was produced as a joint effort bridging a number of Atlantic Council centers. Thanks to the Strategic Foresight Initiative's senior fellow, Peter 
Engelke, and assistant director, oh, great, an Indian name, Aparajitha Vadlamanati, <laughs> for their help curating an excellent event in Silicon Valley. All right, you know, I'm going to stop with the names because this is driving me nuts. All right, special thanks to generous support for this initiative from Smartmatic, without which this would not have been possible. Get your dishes clean with Smartmatic. All right. <laughs> I don't think that's what Smartmatic is, but, you know, who who knows? Maybe it is <laughs> because maybe that's what's going on. Find out what Smartmatic can machines. do for you. <laughs> Smartmatic oh. can lose your, your election. Oh, Are you I losing hope. your legend? Oh, no. Speaking, and speaking <laughs> Get Smartmatic. <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of voting machines, anybody remember in 2000 the uh, Diebold <laughs> testimony? Mm, I do. Mm. Yeah, 2000. <laughs> Wasn't that the one that it took them like, what, 37 days or something to determine yeah. the outcome of the election? In, into they came out and did the same thing, you know, declared Al Gore the winner. And then, you know, the lefties all freaked out when they wound up giving it to George Bush in yep. the end. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, they gave it to all of us in the end is actually what happened. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> but here, just just to uh, put a little emphasis on a couple of things here, um, you know, we are th- also thankful for the 25 executives from Silicon Valley companies who joined <laughs> us for this around table on why technological disruption has yet to come to elections. That sounds a little suspicious right there, doesn't it? Like, you know, let's get together a bunch of these computer guys and try and figure out why hasn't. Tech, technological disruption happened yet during the elections. Hmm. Moose and squirrel. Yes, moose and squirrel. <laughs> this sounds this sounds like code talk to me. Um, this sounds to me like they're they're kind of putting their intentions out there in you know the standard way they do this. So let's let's talk about you know this thing. Why why hasn't this happened yet? Hmm. We're concerned that it will happen. That's code talk for we want this to happen. Um, so yeah. that's kind of what we could see there. And then if you're looking at some of these. Uh, Speakers, uh, Madeleine Albright, uh, former Deputy Secretary General of the United Nations, Lord Mark Malik Brown, CEO oh. and editor of the FP Group, David Rothkop, who, by the way, guys, if you're not familiar with David Rothkop, uh, quite a few years back now, he wrote a book called Superclass, where it basically discloses uh, that there's about 6,000 people overall that run the world. And, you know, he makes no bones about that, that this is the, the super class. This is the ruling class. These are the elites who, you know, rule over you and decide all the events that happen in the world. Uh, so that's who David Rothkop is, if people want to go look him up. Um, Vice President of Public Policy for Google, Susan Molinari. Why does Google have their hands in everything? What does Google have to do with an election? It should have absolutely zero to do with an election. Uh, but guess what? That's not the case, is it? No, they're um, the ones that actually spread the bullshit first, if I understand correctly. Ta-da! There you go. There you go. Winner, winner, chicken dinner right there, Jason. You got it. Oh, and let's not forget um, Dominion voting systems. <clears throat> D- Dominion. Dominion. Uh, yeah. Smartmatic. Uh, Ask your doctor if Smartmatic is right for you. Get Dominion. We can flip any election. Ah, uh, yeah. All right, let's get to the forward. From small startups to major corporations, technology has disrupted and revolutionized business, civil society, and our daily behavior. Technology has infiltrated the most ordinary tasks, like calling a taxi, and created extraordinary possibilities, like students in rural villages streaming classes taught world away. 
Oh, that sounds familiar. As both consumers and citizens, people have come to expect the world to keep pace with modern technology. Yet elections remain relatively untouched by technological advances. Oh, this document's poppycock. While some countries seize newly available electoral tools, many remain wary of them. Governments and electorates are grappling with how to embrace the digital age and its benefits while maintaining integrity and legitimacy, ensuring strong democracies. The Atlantic Council believes that technology's forward march is inevitable and its use in elections will accelerate. Our role as a policy think tank is to ask how best to ensure that its implementation in countries large and small enhances access, expands participation, and <laughs> strengthens democracy's credibility. Yeah, it is credibility. for Polish knee slapper. Wow. It is for this reason that we hosted a year-long initiative to consider the issue of technology's responsible implementation in elections. With events in Silicon Valley and Washington, D.C., the Atlantic Council convened thought leaders from the technology industry, electoral experts, democracy specialists, and government and international organization representatives to ask... What the hell is a democracy specialist? (laughs) They're the ones that tell you we have a democracy instead of a democratic republic. That's what. Yeah. So they ask, what makes a legitimate election? And what role does technology have in strengthening that? Undermining that. (laughs) (laughs) Strengthening. That's anti-fragile thinking, Baldini. Oh, sorry. I'll be a huckleberry. Technologists believe that the machinery is there. Many election experts tread with caution. They are less certain that technology is the silver bullet solution to challenges to democracy. But there is no doubt that technology is upending elections and governments as we know it. In fact, many aspects of elections readily accept technology to register voters and map out polling stations. But the casting and counting of ballots remains an outlier. It is clear that there are pathways to responsibly using this technology as a means to address many of the obstacles in the electoral process. And just to interject there, an outlier is very much like an outlier for it's those very of much like that. following yeah. along. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much an outlier. Uh, but yes, the means to address uh, many of the obstacles in rigging the electoral process. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially. Yes. We have the rare opportunity to proactively and strategically engage this technology and ensure that its implementation strengthens democracies. Again, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who aren't aware, the United States is not a democracy. It's actually a corporation now, but that's beside the point. When it was set up, it was a democratic republic, not a democracy. Representative republic. Democracy is um, what do you call it? Mob rules. That's the best way to put it, I guess. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. Well, democracy that's the is one step away from... <laughs> democracy is always historically one step away from socialism, which is always also historically one step away from communism, which is also further one step away from fascism. In every case that's ever happened uh, within the world, in the history of the world that we've seen, um, and, you know, people will argue, oh, well, what about, uh, like, Denmark and, you know, those type places? They seem to have socialist governments that work. Do they, though? Do you know how much taxes that they pay over yeah, there? Yeah, like 54% of the Do you know how unsustainable that it really is? 
What was that? Like 54% or something like that. It's like some Oh, it's higher than that. More than, yeah, it's more than 65 in some places. It's crazy. It's it's 70 plus in actually when you figure it all down, when it all boils down. And when you uh, add so, all of that, everything in, yeah. Where do you go from yeah. there, by the way? Like when you have taxes that high, like how much well, are you taking home out of a paycheck at that point? Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, you get your, your monthly check from the government – uh, you know that whole idea of um, the a basic universal, universal income. income yeah. You get a monthly uh, check from the government, and then whatever you earn with your job, they tax the crap out of it, and whatever you have left over is what you keep on, on top of your monthly stipend from the government. But that form of uh, government is not sustainable because it does not keep wealth in the coffers of the people. Uh, it it all goes to government. So that that's the whole thing. Uh, it's it's not really. Um, an ideal system when it comes down to it, even though uh, they do have uh, a higher happiness index there from what I've seen. Uh, they have happier lifestyles because, you know, they could go on vacation for three months out of the year and stuff. But uh, hmm. that all comes at a price to your your freedoms and stuff like that. In order to have those types of benefits, just look at how much of your labor and stuff is going to somebody else, is going to government to be redistributed. So that's that's exactly what's going on. So why would you be productive or any more productive than what you absolutely have to be to just minimally scrape by? See, that's the thing. It de-incentivizes people from being uh, creators or being creative or or trying new things. I think it was Huxley uh, who introduced the idea of people that love their servitude. (laughs) Well, when they ought not to to enjoy it. Uh, (laughs) No, they love it. (laughs) Now, where's my tea? Yes. We live in a time of increasing distrust between citizens and their governments. Oh, wait, wait for it. <laughs> Technology can play a critical role in creating a more transparent, inclusive electoral process. Well, we got to have inclusiveness. To do this, technology leaders must reach out to key societal validators and stakeholders to forge partnerships designed to enhance democracy's credibility. This report outlines some of the ways technology can do that. The enthusiasm shown across industries for this initiative demonstrates a larger need to bridge the tech and policy worlds. Too often, Washington and Silicon Valley allow their geographic distance to be reflected in their work. The issue of technology in elections should provide the occasion for a symbiotic partnership to create tools <laughs> to promote transparent, engaged, <laughs> thriving democracies. Except when you show those the economy are also off. known as technocracies. The Atlantic Council's mission is to promote constructive leadership and engagement to create solutions to global issues. This paper puts forth policy recommendations that do just that. By establishing international guidelines, producing critical research, and strengthening independent electoral bodies, governments and their voters can look forward to elections serving 21st century democracies. Also known as tyranny. (laughs) Yeah, technocracy. That's exactly what this is talking about. That's what what they're reaching for, um, because they're they're talking to uh, these technology creators to create this this uh, this bridge between uh, technology and the the governance structure. This is a setup. It's saying right here. Uh, the issue of technology in elections should provide the occasion for a symbiotic partnership to create tools to promote 
transparent, engaged, thriving democracies. That's technocracy, folks. That's what it is, plain and simple. They want to put the machines in charge of doing this stuff. So, you know, that's that's crazy. But that's exactly what they're doing. Not to put too fine a point on it, but again, uh, the idea that you have a democracy, but they give you two um, choices, uh, only two, uh, which are <laughs> were the worst and go, pick one, <laughs> pick one, this flavor shit or that flavor shit. And you're like, hmm, which one of those is worse? Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, it, that's that's uh, again, the very nature of it is fraud and uh, yes. it's mockery. It's a mockery. Here are two evils. Pick the lesser of the two. Yeah, but they're both evil. Yep, and that's what it boils down to in the end. All right, moving down to the introduction, which I thought we just did, but okay. People around the world increasingly rely on technology in everyday life, from the ubiquity of PCs, smartphones, internet banking, and shopping, to using GPS for directions. The list is endless. Yet the process of casting a ballot stands in stark contrast, typically involving marking a paper ballot with a pen or pencil, and counting those paper ballots, even in many of the most developed, long-standing democracies, is often a manual process. Halfway through the second decade of the 21st century, the mechanics of the voting process remain largely rooted in the past. Let's stop right there. I would not ever want anything other than that, because that would be the hardest thing to manipulate to if you literally yeah. did it on a physical person-to-person count with a marked ballot and being physically counted. What do you guys think? What's the point, though? I mean, the Supreme Court this year finally did some look at this public to say that the votes must match the representatives in the Electoral College. So technically, all this drama going on, if they're claiming Biden had the popular vote, which basically is nonsense, you're just being polled. But the point is that would automatically mean that the Electoral College has to follow what the popular vote is. But of course, we have some states because they're going to make a mathematical equation out of it, where if you win the state, you win all the electoral votes, regardless who they're given to. So it's a rigged game. But my point would be, um, remember when the Diebolds first came out uh, and they were saying, oh, the Bush family has something to do with this point is there was a lady in California who went to something like 20 polling places to exercise their supposed right of taking the ticker that's actually right there at the polling place and matching it against the count. She didn't find one that was even close. <laughs> um, and so the, the whole thing, I don't know if you guys have covered it, but as anyone mentioned, in a list of all the countries, where does the United States rate as a democracy? It's like 60-something or 50-something, which is laughable in the first place because the Electoral College does it all. So to call it a vote is disingenuous. It's a poll. You're being polled at yes, best. That, that's correct. Uh, and as we stated, that we're not a, the United States is not a democracy. It's a democratic republic. But this document and their proposals are supposed to be for, quote unquote, democratic countries. More, more robust democracy. More, more robust. There's <laughs> that robust word. Robust. Everybody's been robust lately. What's up with that? Yeah. Everything's robust. I mean, you know, when you look at all these <laughs> policy planning papers, they talk about a lot of robust things. Robust. Some guy name. Some guy named Roe broke everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, well, here we go. Again, this paper's from 2016, so let's keep that in mind. As the United States is on the brink of a critical election, 
and countries around the world prepare to head to polling stations to select their futures, this is a crucial moment to consider the voting systems used when choosing elected officials. At a moment of profound political divisions and growing distrust between citizens and their governments, transparency, accuracy, and credibility are more important than ever. You don't say! Of course, the larger electoral context encompasses a free press, including equal access to media for candidates, protection against violence, and fair campaign finance laws. These key factors are emphasized in an internationally recognized assessment by former United Nations Secretary General Kofi Annan in an extensive report on elections, Deepening de Democracy, a Strategy for Improving the State of Elections Worldwide. The selection of a voting system is one of an electoral authority's most important decision. Well, uh, you know, maybe they want to propose something that works for the entire world, right? They, they like that one world stuff. Gee, you think that might have something to do with a lot of this? Hmm. <laughs> Would you say Kofi Annan or QAnon? I kind of missed it now, sorry. Trust the plan. <laughs> Trust, Obama the plan. Or Osama. Trust the plan. Okay. With all the ways technology has advanced communications, healthcare, banking, and beyond, what role can it play in strengthening elections? As countries seek to increase participation, credibility, transparency, and access for all voters, governments must also consider the obstacles, both concrete and perceived, to introducing technology into the democratic process. With an increasingly tech-savvy electorate, how can governments responsibly keep pace, including determining the electorate's expectations about incorporating new technology into ballot casting and counting, as people you know, increasingly it's... use technology for a wide array of everyday functions? Is there something categorically different about using technology as a consumer of goods and services compared with using technology as a citizen? You know, I was going to point out, it seems thus far, this document is um, overtly concerned about um, the optics <clears throat> and uh, credibility of, a, of an election, not the actual processes or uh, is legitimacy, uh, but actually uh, that people believe it. <laughs> so, so far, that seems to be uh, the primary focus is that uh, they can sell its credibility um, more, more so than it's secure or actually valid. But, but look at the spell that's been cast here. Um, Jason and I, some years ago, I don't even know how long ago, we took apart elections to prove that the political red-blue mechanism is a complete construct. We actually did it. We recorded today an episode on color, which shows you exactly um, what's being manipulated with their choice of coloring in these things. But mm -hmm. there was a show that used to be on called Adam Ruins Everything. Something like, I don't know, two months after Jason and I did that show, Adam Ruins Everything came on and almost verbatim matched the things we said, while at the same time proving that there was no democracy and that it was a backdoor to power through the Electoral College, but at the same time over and over stating how important it is to vote. And so there on relatively mainstream TV, they've told you the truth, and the effect is a net gain of zero. So it goes to show where we're at. Yeah, it's all a zero-sum game. But they... <laughs> By by design, but yeah, I, I agree uh, completely with you, Crow. That's uh, you know what what we have is a sham, and um, there is no part of the uh, election other than uh, local uh, local elections seem to be fairly legitimate. If if not just to give it a, a patina of legitimacy, so it makes it appear uh, as though it uh, it's you know working. Did did anyone follow? I mean, I know the supposed Supreme Court um, that stage, 
put out some edict this year saying that the electoral votes had to match the ballots. Um, and I didn't pay much attention to it. But anyone listening, I'm not going to tell the story again. I've told it too many times. Anyone truly interested, go look up online anywhere. I don't even give a damn if it's Wikipedia, if it's still there, uh, how the Electoral College was set up and what the state of Rhode Island did as one of the 13 original colonies, refusing to participate, stating this is a backdoor to power you're putting in. And these things are all on the record. So, you know, how, how in the hell do we get all these educated people still participating when it's as plain as day? I don't know. It's a it's a hell of a spell. Yeah, it's definitely called mind control and propaganda. That's for sure. You know, before we continue with this, let's also take a moment to talk about where do these companies, social media, uh, professional pretenders known as actors and entertainers where do all these freaking people get off telling you to go vote and quite often telling you how to vote i don't need google or, or facebook is probably the worst i mean over and over and over and over again i could not go anywhere and i'm sure this is everyone who's uses uh, the technology it was just being shoved down our throats and i think that's part of the spell that they were weaving so that they can do what they're doing right now like oh they they told you to vote over and over again to convince you that it means something so that they can unfold the next stage of the script because it was so important and they shoved it down your throat and up your butt and how yeah and how to vote and for whom so that you would think that everybody else was you know if you didn't want to vote that way everyone else did so you could consider it legitimate uh, i got uh, multiple times um, invited by facebook to vote for other states which I do not live, and of course they know they know where I live. But they wanted awesome. me to vote for Arizona. They wanted me to register to vote in Michigan. They offered me to register to vote in Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, there was about nine different states that they offered me uh, to vote in, but uh, Arizona was the number one uh, out of state place that they tried to get me to, to register. Did Did you contribute to the drama for this up upcoming all the legal spells that are going to get cast here? You know this this is all really done by inches, and it it reminds me of the episodes Jason and I have done on Tavistock and the Frankfurt School, where I forget the dude who said, I could control the world instantly, just give me control of television and radio. And so when you see this done by inches, a good example is to look at actors. Back in the day, that the word actor was known to be from the Greek Hippocrates, which is a hypocrite, and they were not respected. If you were an actor, you got zero respect, even though people showed up to watch you, it was because you were duplicitous. They couldn't tell. You were two-faced. Is this person acting, or is that really the person I'm talking to? There were all these laws and rules put in place saying no actor could hold any important public office for the very simple fact that actors are known to be duplicitous. They can act. Mm -hmm. Now come up to the 80s, where openly, all of a sudden, they make the incumbent president look like the biggest weenie that ever fell out of underwear uh, named Jimmy Carter, couldn't quite get anything done. And he was a peanut farmer we could make fun of to boot. And by the way, he had a drunken brother who made his own beer. Beer, beer. And now we got uh, Ronbo. That's what they called him. Remember, Rambo had come out, mm -hmm. and there was all this to-do in the Middle East, so they had all these buff pictures of Ronbo pumping him up, and lo and behold, everyone was fine with an actor from Hollywood being the supposed commander-in-chief. So you can see how this is done by inches and how the, the things that used to guide us in a more natural way, have been lost by the wayside. 
Yeah, the, the uh, a, occupation okay. of, of an actor was uh, considered um, scum, right, it, for yeah. generations. And uh, now, of course, uh, Hollywood, uh, you're supposed to take them seriously uh, and do whatever they tell you. And they're going to tell you they don't have any respect for you. <laughs> and, and they're paid. But, you know, think, think of this, too. They're paid better than everyone else. They get free transit around the world. They don't really need passports. They jump on private planes. They're in like a class of their own. It's gone so far in the other direction. And if you measure it by a naturalistic view, which is how we know usury is wrong. You see, we know a bear or a deer can have babies, and that's normal because the natural world proves it. But a gold coin, a gold coin starts having babies, and that is unnatural. That's the devil's work there. That's how we know usury is is not right. And yet we can't use these same measurements. What is the thing created by an actor that gives something beneficial to the world? And so we've lost all the benchmarks. I mean, if you want to call entertainment a benefit, I guess you could go down that road. But nothing concrete is is offered the world for such a lofty paycheck and privilege. Uh, just to put a fine point on it, if anybody hasn't seen the TV in the last couple of months, I'll tell you in a nutshell what you've been missing. Wear a mask, get your vaccine, and get out and vote. Yeah. And to, to Crow's point, amusement... The etymology of that literally is to have your brain turned on. Muse, the the inspirational thought, uh, amusement, uh, the activity of that, and a in front of it without. Uh, so without any inspiration, without thought, w without spirit, amusement, um, you're you're dead inside. So just gonna put a fine point on it. There. Words have meaning. Well, this whole this whole thing with these private corporations, as they like to remind us so often that they are private corporations, hence you have no free speech there. Where the hell do they get off telling us that they now want to participate in all the crap that's going on uh, in our lives? No, 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 no. You're a private corporation. Keep your thoughts and opinions to yourself. Thank you very much. All right. The Atlantic Council, led by the Adrian Arsht Latin America Center – the Strategic Foresight Initiative, and the South Asia Center recently hosted a series of events bringing together international leaders and experts in the fields of democracy, policy, civil society, academia, and the private sector to delve into these questions. The first event <laughs> held in Silicon Valley, California in September of 2015 featured President Tumas Ilves of Estonia describing how the widespread use of technology in all aspects of e-governance in Estonia enhances his country's democracy, laying the groundwork for implementation of online voting a decade ago for national parliamentary elections. President Ilves engaged in thoughtful discussions with industry experts. First, with Dr. Francis Fukuyama moderating a public event at Stanford University, and later at a private dinner hosted by the Atlantic Council. These events brought together leaders from the policy community, election experts, and academia alongside executives from innovative technology companies including Facebook, Twitter, and Lyft to contrast how technology has radically changed the way society carries out daily functions and the need to bring election technology into the 21st century. It, isn't Lyft uh, another Uber company? It is. Yes, Lyft is just like Uber. What the hell are they doing there? Spending well, money. You know, <laughs> it pretty much, yeah. It, we, you got to look at, uh, at companies like that as well because you got to figure – they're just a front company for some other major corporation when it comes down to it. So, you know, that's it's basically just a, a way to uh, 
transfer funds uh, into uh, somebody's uh, campaign or something of that sort uh, in kind of a, a more secretive type way. Uh, that's the thing. I, I would I would bet you if we actually look up Lyft and see where it actually comes from, who owns it, it would it's probably just a, like a front corporation, uh, a corporation owned by some other bigger corporation. In my view, I think that's that's probably likely what's going on there. So if you want to know where the money is coming from uh, through Lyft and why they're involved with this, uh, that would be something to investigate further. Uh, but Facebook and Twitter, I mean, those are those are your major social medias. So that you know, that makes sense mining. on the Facebook. Right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So so it occurs to me now that I'm thinking about this episode, it would almost be a bigger service to simply break down the words. Like I noticed you said to help foster democracy. Well, there is no democracy at the national level, none. <laughs> um, and so then they said the word civil because that's one of the things they're promoting. With the law series we've done, we can demonstrate that if you are a citizen, you are basically a slave. That is the idea of civil. You can interchange in the hidden legal system the word civil or any variation on that with the word slave because you have no standing and you own nothing. And so if you went at the etymology, it would actually you know, it would be a greater service to people because that document is a bit like a guy showing up who's got a giraffe and he's going to tell everyone it's an elephant. And the way he's going to do it is he's going to say, you see that elephant over there? And someone's going to go, is that an elephant? And he's going to say, yeah, you know, elephants have a long thing, right? And we're all going to agree that elephants have a long thing. There it is. That giraffe's now an elephant, <laughs> basically. But if anyone bothered to look, they would be able to tell that that's a damn giraffe, buddy not an elephant. So I'm just saying. Well, let's also not forget that everything is commerce. It's not democracy. That's, that's, uh, well, that's, that's a fucking lie. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, you know, government essentially is uh, coercion. Uh, ultimately. I mean, that, that's its function. Uh, whatever, well, whatever is assigned down. to it. Prove it. Break the word down. She tells yeah, okay. you. Yeah. Govern yeah. to, to control. <laughs> Meant the mind, the mind right? Yeah. Is it's mind control, uh, but but its function is then to uh, not only control the mind, but through coercion uh, to enact uh, laws and statutes which prevent you from. It's one group taking control of another, uh, not only their mind but their physical body as well. And in this country, of course, you've proven it over and over again uh, that with the uh, straw man, they create a corporate identity, a false corporate shell for you, the straw man, uh, and run that. And they have rule over that because they invented it. It's a legal fiction. So without getting too deep into that uh, rabbit hole. No, um, not really, though, because what you're demonstrating, it pulls the rug from these kind of bold-faced documents uh, where they're using words like election, like vote, like civil, like, no, dudes, those words all have a meaning, and we can correlate them with what they mean. Tonight we're going to run Ken Cousins from Gemstone, and it is another full-spectrum view of what's going on in the legal world, and maybe another close run at a person who's as close as we can see to removing themselves from that system or being able to if they wish to. Um, and you see, these are the realities, the actual realities. And so we've become kind of childlike where we're just going to use words. Okay, vote. Okay, let's everyone say vote. Nobody knows what it means, <laughs> but let's all just use the word. So it's kind of a critical thing to break it down at its foundation. 
Yeah, and they do it, and you, and as you say, Crow. I mean, they they in, introduce semantic drift on purpose in the same right. way that they take anarchy, uh, which is literally without a king, without a ruler, and make it to to mean lawlessness, <laughs> right? Instead and chaos. of self ruling, instead of self rule. Yeah, exactly. Without it, without a king, without a ruler. And, and uh, then anarchy. they do another thing though, because that's where we're getting the ideas. The idea of an archon is mixed up in that. And so then they they launched the fantasy love boat, right? So, oh, archons, these magical beasts from somewhere, and clearly they were talked about in the Bible, and there used to be giants that were 100 feet tall, and they could disappear at the whim, and they could, you know, the same thing is done with aliens. Now, think about that word. Um, We're going to have Dylan on soon, who's, for a, a young man of 37 years old, so impressive what he's doing with language that he learned from other people he was following online. But think of the word alien. Now, if someone comes across the border south of us and they come here, they're an illegal alien, right? Well, what people have missed is what's actually going on. It's in the word. They've put a lean. Alien can be broken down phonetically to a lean. They've put a lean on your thought process. And the reason it's an illegal alien is because he's not in the legal system here that binds us. So the lean, you know, you can see where all this goes. Um, and if you go at those words and you learn how to break them down, they're self-explanatory quite often. Okay. That's one of the most important things I ever learned early on uh, as a kid by reading the, the dictionary and uh, the encyclopedia was learning etymology and learning how to break words down at their basics, roots and suffixes. Uh, you can find the root of almost you know any word, especially if you learn a little Latin. No, that's a big deal. That's a big, big deal. And not only that, um, now people are formalizing. You you said what I said because we're both older than dirt. The idea of a prefix, a root, and a suffix, that's what I've always used. The, the newer, younger folk who are going to town on this call it word splitting. And they're formalizing what I always said was sounds like, can be like, or sound like, is like. They call it phonetics. And, of course, they bridge it back to Phoenicia. Um, but these are the things that really matter because if you get any number of people who view language in this way, it's a knowing that's not really arguable because it's like a vibration rate. You can measure it. So the etymology of a word is what it is. Even if, if we take it to mean something else, it's still there. All right. Shortly thereafter, the Atlantic Council hosted a conference in Washington, D.C., involving a series of discussions with international leaders and experts. Among them were Justice Jose Antonio Diaz Toffoli, President of the Supreme Electoral Court of Brazil, and Manish Tawari, former Minister of Information for India, representing the two largest democracies that conduct elections entirely on electronic voting machines. Now, this is interesting. They're talking about people all over the world here that are participating in this. So here's our one world again. Uh, Tajuddin Ali Dayabakti, Deputy Director of the Electoral Assistance Division of the United Nations. Well, there you go. I spoke too soon, right? And Matt Masterson, Commissioner of the U.S. Electoral Assistance Commission, also shared their expertise. They were joined by thought leaders. So that you, what is this term, man? Thought, thought leaders. It's the thought third leaders. time they've yeah, used it. Someone will get Winston off the table right now. Mm. Room 101. Uh, <clears throat> they were joined by thought leaders, such as Britain's Lord Mark Malach Brown, 
Former Deputy uh, Secretary General of the UN, Bill Sweeney, President of the International Foundation for Electoral Systems, and David Rothkopf, CEO and editor of the FP Group for a morning-long discussion. Well, good for them. The conference also included keynote remarks from Madeleine Albright, former U.S. Secretary of State and current chairman of the National Democratic Institute, who described technology as a tool that has empowered citizenry worldwide. A private breakfast preceding the conference featured remarks from former Congresswoman Susan Molinari, who now serves as Google's Vice President of Public Policy and Government Relations. Well, isn't this grand that we always see people going in and out of private corporation and high positions in government? Hmm, That's a coincidence. Come on, don't don't be a, don't be a theorist. Come on, you. She described how Google technology, launched in partnership with the Pew Charitable Trust's election initiatives, is helping tens of millions of U.S. voters find where to go to vote. In a world of pervasive technology, well, you know what? They they definitely did this time. They didn't stop. In a world of pervasive technology, she spotlighted the frustration that if you aren't within four blocks of where you live, you can't vote. But in a war-torn country, you can still use an ATM. Issues of trust and access dominated these discussions. Panelists grappled with big-picture questions of how technology could impact the very makeup of government to issues of implementation concerning cost and infrastructure. The overarching consensus from the Atlantic Council events is that the time is ripe to reboot the conversation about the future of technology in elections. Participants, oh, the reboot. Yeah. They'll give it the boot, right? Is that like a great reset? Kind just like of. it. Kind Can of. I just get new soles on the boots I have? <laughs> <laughs> get a new sole, a rubber sole. Oh, dear. Plastic sole, man. Participants emphasized the chasm between the ubiquitous use of technology in people's lives and the need to align and integrate the voting experience with the modern world, including brid- bridging the generational gap. This report is a result of the findings of these events, together with a snapshot world tour of a range of countries' experiences. The paper culminates with recommendations to advance the goal of enhancing and modernizing the electoral process for voters worldwide. All right. Worldwide. Questions, comments, criticisms, complaints. Bullshit. Um, yeah, I mean, again, so so far they've uh, spent a great deal of time talking about uh, how to make it seem more legitimate and looking at the optics of making people trust the process rather than actually improving or legitimizing it. So uh, Let, nonsense. Let's, let's ask the, the foundational question. So if the UN is so invested in all this democracy everywhere, how can they exist as a body that's unelected by anyone that would be affected by a so-called democratic process? We could ask the same thing of the European Union. You see, who, who's who's the supposed electric, uh, the, the, the body that elects these powers that make the dictates? As a matter of fact, I'm sitting here in the U.S. and maybe the only podcast I know of that's serving my own audio for the simple reason that everyone out there using a streaming service, as we all need to, to deliver things like podcasts and video are under EU guidelines. And I said, the hell I'm under EU guidelines. So you can see how simple it is even just to ask a simple question and understand uh, the nonsensical nature of any of this. All right. Next up is technology in the election process. It seems like no industry has escaped the impact of the technological revolution, yet elections 
remain an outlier. While some countries have incorporated the newest technologies, others carry on with the pen and paper of centuries past. Certain areas, such as voter registration, have benefited from a greater willingness to use new technologies than others, such as ballot casting and counting, and letting the dead people vote. That's not in the paper, though. That's not in the paper. That's yes. not in the paper. It's not in the paper. For anybody <laughs> following along, once again, an outlier is very much like an outlier. Very similar. <laughs> Online voter registration is more frequently available where self-registration is required. In the United States, online registration is growing exponentially from two states in 2008 to 29 states today. When Great Britain launched the option of online registration in March of 2015, over 2 million Britons registered to vote online during the five weeks prior to the deadline for, this, for May 7th, 2015 national election. In Great Britain, the age group of 25 to 34 applied online in the greatest numbers, bolstering the electoral participation of this chronically underrepresented demographic. demographic excuse me. <laughs> online voter registration has resulted in more complete and accurate voter rolls. An added benefit is the significant labor cost savings compared with handwritten paper forms that are often illegible and marred by data entry errors. Uh, again, they, they're trying to really paint the picture that doing something that should be the uh, should have the most security to be che not cheated. They want to say, "Oh, this is just so terrible. We need to get away." From well, this. Just it's like awful. we were talking about, just like we were talking about before the show, Jason, in re in regard to audio, right? What they've done over the last thirty or forty years now is to try to make digital seem is it's better. Analog is bad, and digital good. Uh, in the same way here, uh, analog, you're doing it by hand. How terrible. It needs to be digital <laughs> so it can be more robust. Well, it's like the conversation we were having before we got on about, uh, that's talking saying, about the yeah. little mixer that, that I got. Right, exactly. Like that's such a great analysis or excuse me, an analogy. Analogy. Well, it's, and it's analogous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. In an analog. But doesn't so, all this need to go through the air for the coming age too? It has to yeah. be digital. Well, that's right. true. So, that's true. Uh -huh. Check-in at voting locations is beginning to move away from printing and assembling hundreds of pages of voters' lists to presenting poll books on tablets or other electronic devices. Smartphone applications show voters their polling station location. Uploading unofficial election results to government websites on election night has become common. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, you, you have no you idea. <laughs> you don't say. The process of electronically transmitting election results from voting locations to the central election headquarters to get a quick, unofficial count on election night is rapidly expanding in dozens of countries, including Albania, Ecuador, Finland, Panama, and Zambia. Indeed, speed of the vote count has proven essential to public perception of legitimacy, particularly in developing countries. Estonian citizens can vote online, which some countries aspire to while others remain deeply wary of. Accuracy and speed can be improved by using vote casting and counting technology, but universal implementation remains elusive. While approximately <clears throat> one-third of democratic countries are incorporating 
available technology into some piece of the voting process, others are shying away from doing so. The complexities and competing priorities of a country's political and cultural environment are critical factors when government decision makers grapple with available voting system options. I'm sorry, but the paper ballot is absolutely, in my opinion, the best way to do it. Yeah, well, you I, put it in a digital domain, and it's easy to hack, and <laughs> no one can prove otherwise. I think we should go back to black and white stones and a bowl in the room. I like it. <laughs> that way you can literally get blackballed. There you go. But I thought I almost certainly heard Jason say zombia earlier. <laughs> like, yes. Wait, that's where I live. They wear masks there. <laughs> I live in zombia. Everyone wears a mask there. All right. Let's go down here. Building and sustaining trust. It is clear that trust is the cornerstone of any election. Bill Sweeney, president of IFES, identified two critical questions surrounding this issue. Will the electorate believe the outcome of an election? There you go. <laughs> and will politicians accept the outcome and be good losers? Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> The volatile environment surrounding elections makes people wary of rocking an already precarious boat and stymies implementing sweeping changes. You don't say. Participants at both Atlantic Council events discussed trust differences between using technology as a consumer compared with using technology as a citizen. The consumer arena involves a private transaction of choice, whereas voters must use whatever technology and systems the government supplies. Lord Mark Malach Brown said people have detached elections from the rest of their environment and activities. The issue of voting technology is a public policy is a public policy matter within a larger context of change. David Rock Rothkopf, CEO and editor of the FP Group, opined that there is no political will to change the inner workings of how people vote. Introducing electronic voting incrementally via pilot projects to build trust and familiarity enhances the opportunity for success and acceptance by including political parties, civil society, and non-governmental organizations in the decision-making process, governments can build a wide base of support, knowledge, and familiarity for these changes. Launching a robust public education and awareness campaign is another essential component to educating voters on the use of the system, communicating the goals and objectives for implementation, and providing public feedback mechanisms. Such efforts are particularly important in countries where public trust in government institutions is at a nadir. However, the unpopularity of government does not necessarily erode public trust in the governmental institutions that oversee elections. Brazil exemplifies how these disparate levels of trust exist for different institutions within one government. While the president's approval rating has dropped into single digits and trust in Brazilian institutions fell over 30% between 2011 and 2012, there is little dispute over the validity of the elections. The independence and competence. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help laugh at that. All right, someone get the leftover cocaine. This is going oh, way too far. Man. The independence uh, well, and competence. We got the word robust, so. Yeah, yeah. robust elections. The robust independence feedback. and competence of Brazil's electoral court and commission is reflected in positive public perception. The integrity of electoral institutions is crucial to engendering and sustaining public trust and acceptance of electoral outcomes, and such trusted institutions have credibility when proposing the adoption of election technology. 
<laughs> Credibility. That's all it's about. Ah. Yeah. Th- so nobody, nobody trusts the government. His uh, approval ratings are in the single digits, but everybody believes that he won the election. Oh yeah, that, that, oh, that person won. Man. Oh man. This I is guess awesome. if you're the only game in town. <laughs> I'm oh. sniffing it up. <laughs> well, that's it. No, There's that's no more Biden, leftovers. Man. Yeah. <laughs> that's where all the leftover cocaine went. Biden. There was leftovers. Biden Jr. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, young Biden. Oh, man. <laughs> Whose laptop is this? Yeah, they're both sniffers. Uh, Biden Sr. sniffs little kids, and <laughs> Jim, I'm, Jr. I'm, sniffs. I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure they didn't inhale, though. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't heard that one in a while. Yeah. I'll yeah. feel your pain. <laughs> she did, though. Oh. Oh, dear. It depends right. on what the word is means. Is, yeah. What's your <laughs> definition of the word is is? Oh dear. I did not. You know, have if nothing else, that guy that was uh, very entertaining to listen to. Oh dear. I mean, yeah. we know they're all full of shit. They're all full of shit. We know they're all oh, yeah. full of shit. You might as well at least enjoy what they're saying. I mean, old sniffer, I mean he can't even form a coherent sentence. I know. Well, you know how to tell what the politician's lying to you. Well his lips the, are their moving. lips are moving, yeah. Wait a minute. Didn't George Bush Sr. instruct us to read his lips? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he did. He did. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's true. Yeah, read my lips. In, in, the, era of, in the era of New church world lady, order. if I recall. Yeah. Weighing oh, the dear. choice of voting system. Despite an impressive list of benefits, why hasn't electronic voting seen wider implementation? There is overriding consensus that voting systems must be reliable, accurate, secure, and meet established performance standards. Yet disagreement emerges... their own question. (laughs) Yet disagreement emerges regarding the perceptions of the strengths and vulnerabilities of electronic voting compared with paper ballot voting and the weight given to multiple criteria for evaluation. Accuracy of the count, speed of ballot tabulation, auditability, Mm, I like that one, transparency, Mm -hmm. Ballot security, including susceptibility to fraud or manipulation. Voter convenience, equipment costs, and accessibility for all voters, including those away from the region, those with disabilities, and multilingual considerations, are all factors impacting the decision. The desire for greater electoral participation and the issue of whether or not a voting system can impact voter turnout also enter the debate. While a with a lack of universally accepted standards for electronic voting, there is ample room for questionable practices, practices and concerns about fraud and ballot manipulation. The disparate experiences of various countries have led to a lack of consensus on the best way to conduct a legitimate, transparent electronic election. Countries have undertaken implementation of new systems at different times, motivated by the political climates and demands of the electorate. The last five years have seen a dramatic and dichotomous transformation, whereby some countries have expanded implementation and others have reverted back to paper ballots. Gee, I wonder why. Yeah. Hmm. If they're so concerned about security, which is all we're hearing about here, wouldn't you actually be concerned with the Electoral College? Because, you know, everyone just watched the news, right? They don't give a damn what the vote is. It's the electoral votes that get tabulated. So why is there never any concern for the manipulation of the very thing that's actually doing the seating? 
<laughs> let's not let's not ask mm. legitimate questions. That's don't look under <laughs> that thing, leaf. Don't go no. thinking there, Crow. Don't that's, do that. Too much thinking. Yeah, <laughs> that's not good. They don't want thinky thinky going on. Yeah, that's that's not allowed. <laughs> Why use electronic voting? Benefits and advantages. The circumstances of different political environments and electorates have led some countries to seek alternatives to their voting systems, from managing hundreds of millions of votes as India and Brazil do to <clears throat> and Brazil do, to aiming to increase inclusion and accessibility. Various countries have turned to technology as a tool to help address these challenges. Where can technology help strengthen the electoral process? Why should technology be adopted? Four key reasons stand out. Accuracy is paramount. <clears throat> the primary incentive for adopting electronic voting is to increase the accuracy of ballot counting to reflect the will of the voters, including by preventing fraud. <laughs> ballot box <laughs> stuffing. Oh, the next, the next sentence is a doozy. Fraud prevention is a delicate issue in every discussion <laughs> yeah. of electronic voting as it is held up as a principal belief, a principal benefit, and a principal concern. With an increasingly tech-literate electorate, many countries, especially in the developing world, are placing greater faith in the precision of technology. Reducing or eliminating human error or deliberate manipulation has proven a positive impact in countries that have successfully implemented electronic voting. Wait, what? They just flipped the script. <laughs> they, they're trying to tell you that it prevents fraud. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, anybody who's ever used technology of any kind knows that uh, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> if it's digital, stuff. it's manipulable. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's manipulative. And, and hey, guys, you, did no I show you my new it. picture of Earth? <laughs> yeah, did I show you my new picture of Earth from space? We eliminated human error. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good shit. I'm sorry. That's good shit right there. Oh, man. Next, reducing ballot spoilage. I uh, didn't mm. know they had a... Uh, well, anyway. <laughs> Expiration date <laughs> used by... <laughs> They're not avocados! Best if except, except in California. Electronic voting... My ballot oxidized. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I got mold on it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Negredo set in. <laughs> oh, Let me sniff it and find out. <laughs> Old sniffer. Electronic oh. voting systems can alert voters about invalid votes prior to final ballot casting, preventing inadvertent voting for more selections than permitted or unintentionally skipping a contest, thereby reducing errors. Such ballot spoilage averages between 3 to 7% worldwide. Okay. Speed <laughs> breeds confidence. Another key input. Uh, you know what? I disagree with that entirely because look at what just happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Mm, Speed breeds confidence. <laughs> Another impetus is faster compilation of election results. Speedier release of results boosts voter confidence in the counting, excuse me, the counting process and enhances acceptance of the electoral outcome. Delays can foment suspicion and mistrust and have historically contributed to public mistrust, occasionally resulting in civil unrest and violence. Ooh, right there in the script. So oh, yeah. Because people have such a short attention span, you see, you got to give them the answer right away, uh, despite the fact that there'd be no way to really do it. <laughs> so, oh, my God. <laughs> this is such poppycock. Holy shit. It delays. 
you know, it can foment suspicion <sighs> and mistrust. And it can, <laughs> oh, it can go ahead occasionally result in civil unrest and violence. Oh, man. Accessibility enhances inclusion. The capacity for built-in functionality such as audio headsets and options for enlarged print on screens facilitates voting for growing populations of disabled and elderly voters. Displaying the ballot in a choice of languages allows all voters to cast ballots in their preferred language. I don't see anything that can't be done with paper ballots, which in my opinion are, that's the way to go. That's the way to go, man. All no, right. I'm, I'm with Crow. I'm with the black and white rocks. Well, that's, that's kind of cool. <laughs> I'm going back to the Stone Age, man. It's tough to fake that. Obstacles, real and perceived. Concerns about electronic voting are both real and perceived, but perception and trust are both critical components in any election and directly impact the ability to govern. Security and cost emerge as principal concerns surrounding electronic voting. Security. Pervasive concerns about data security, privacy, and transparency dominate the electronic voting debate. The avalanche of recent cybersecurity headlines heightens fears of a compromised election. Private companies like Bank of America and Target, as well as the U.S. government, which is also a private company, have suffered (laughs) massive data breaches in recent years, leading to widespread concern over the security of all electronic systems. Instances of hackers in a laboratory setting in a laboratory setting, comp- compromising an electronic voting machine. An electronic voting machine, when given physical access to the equipment, has shaken public confidence and influenced policy-making decisions. Well, they, they, they already admitted that they trotted out some, uh, what do you call it, computer people for the Dominion software, and I think some of the others as well, and blatantly said, yes, this could be manipulated with ease. There is widespread misunderstanding about the susceptibility of electronic voting machines to manipulation. Electronic standalone machines are neither networked together nor connected to the internet. Unless accessed and infiltrated one by one, it is impossible to carry out a large-scale, system-wide hack into the machines. Confirmed instances of hacking into commercial and government websites and databases center on systems being connected to the internet. Whoa, 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 back up. Unless accessed and infiltrated one by one, it's impossible to carry out a large-scale, system-wide hack into the machines. That's... That's Nonsense. bullshit. You have it's no idea as, a, as an individual voter what OS that thing is running. You have no fucking clue whatsoever that is complete no. and utter balderdash. At every, at every stage of the game, whether it's in the software, the machine itself, or whether it's in the transmission stage or whether it's in the tabulation stage, at every stage along the way, um, there's a po- possibility for hacking. What they just said there is absolute bullshit. It's a lie. Um, how about this too, guys? Um, the NSA has backdoor protocols put into every electronic device manufactured and used at a hardware level yeah right at a hardware level so it's definitely there uh whether they want to admit to it or not it's there somebody could do it you might have to have intelligence access or something to get to it but they could do it and that that's easily easily and without any oversight i mean nobody would know because it's at the hardware level. So it would go in at one uh, in one stage and come out in a completely different, and there would be no record of it being changed. Uh, you could uh, tabulate the software all day long. You could look at every line of code, and it wouldn't appear. You would never right. know. And that's exactly why they put these back doors into all these different systems, like every every computer, every electronic device, every cell phone, all of this stuff. 
this all has hardware built into it that is accessible by the NSA and other security agencies or intelligence agencies. Uh, and it's built there on purpose and it's put there thanks uh, largely via the 1996 Telecommunications Act. Uh, and like every electronic device has a back door that could be accessed uh, by, you know, government uh, alphabet agencies. So don't say it, deep state. Don't don't say it. I won't say that. I won't say deep state. I would never use such a term for the shadow government. Shallow county? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Shallow parish? Okay. The, this lack of distinction has blurred the public's impression regarding voting system security issues. Procedural enhancements address security concerns and increase transparency in, in, in elections. These include openly conducting rigorous pre-election testing and post-election auditing of the vote count, introducing third-party independent auditings of voting system software and source codes, inviting political party representatives and outside observers into all stages of the election process. These include regional observation bodies like the Organization of American States or nonprofit organizations such as the Carter Center, and parallel vote counting, an election observation methodology based on random sampling of voting sites to independently verify election results. This procedure, usually associated with paper ballot voting, has been used with electronic voting to validate system accuracy. The experience of counties uh, the experience of countries highlighted herein illustrates that incorporating such measures into the electoral process can increase voter confidence. Uh, this still doesn't That's change it. the fact that if there is some sort of physical backdoor built into the damn thing that they don't know about, it can still be manipulated. I mean, this is keep again keep watching though. The only thing they really are concerned about here is voter confidence. Well, while they talk about security, it really is just making sure that people are um, uh, believing it. Right, believe in the outcome, not really about the security itself, but increasing voter confidence. Uh, that's right. all they're concerned about is make sure it's that you perception. buy it. Well, let's that's talk right. about voter confidence for a second in the United States. They've got a huge chunk of the United States population believing that the election has been won by old sniffer because they don't know a goddamn thing about the actual system. Because they believe the media. Yeah, the, that's what I'm the saying. They, they don't, they don't even know how the freaking thing works, so they're just believing what CNN and Fox told them. Anyway. Yeah, well, I, they... I, and everybody nodded their head when they said, oh, Associated Press called it for Biden. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, I guess it's done. Uh, and that's what they're okay. using as uh, to dismiss any uh, any allegations of fraud as well. Uh, AP has already called it. <laughs> <laughs> well, like they're the authority. Yeah. I'd like to make an observation here. So the only people who truly know anything about a digital system are the people who wrote the code. It's literally coded. Yeah. So if you take something like CERN as an example – and they tell you a particle just went around in circles 25 miles at the speed of light and crashed, and the spirograph image comes up, the only person that knows or people who know how the image was created were the people who wrote the code. It's literally coded. So the idea that somehow you can get you know, representatives or anything to police it is laughable. Do they write and read code? Yes. And I mean, anything could have created that image. As you used the example, anything could have created that image at CERN. Right. Somebody in the back room with with Photoshop. Uh, there you go. Uh, in the same way that they say, oh, we pinged, uh, you know, we, we got a, a single photon back from the moon. 
because we got a ping. Oh, there it is. We got a ping. <laughs> right. And people buy it. And, and this is, you know, this is what people don't understand about, for example, NASA fraud. Oh, how many people would have to be in on it? Almost no one. Everybody sitting there at their desk is looking at data. Uh, that data could be fed from anywhere. And uh, they have said themselves it's impossible for the people operating those the monitor stations uh, to tell the difference between uh, a, a simulation and the real thing. Well, that's they because asked, they yeah. ran the simulations. They they did the moon landings before the hypothetical real moon landings. How many times? Dozens? Dozens and dozens and dozens just to go through scenarios of possibilities? Yeah, but that's current to this day. They still do the same thing, for example, with the, the you know Mars rover and stuff, right? So um, it, most people there, I think, are completely out of the assumption that what they're do, actually doing work. All right. Any security assessment must weigh the risks of an electronic ballot against those of a paper ballot. When using electronic voting machines, equipment malfunction and potential security breaches are the dominant concerns. Alternatively, paper ballots can be lost, misplaced, or stolen. Cost. The issue of cost, both for initial acquisition and maintenance of electronic voting machines, looms large when governments contemplate voting system implementation. Little information exists to determine whether electronic voting is ultimately more or less expensive than paper ballots. Procuring a voting system is an infrastructure investment, often falling outside of annual governmental operating budgets. Cost calculations must consider the voting system's expected lifespan and budget for updates and replacements. Some countries, such as India and Namibia, have acquired low-cost equipment with minimal functionality that meets basic needs. However, what about Zambia? <laughs> mask. However, systems equipped with sophisticated features, such as the ability to load complex software to accommodate multiple languages and audio interfaces, the capacity to present ballots with hundreds of different ballot combinations, and the addition of a voter-verified paper audit trail called a VVPAT, cost significantly more. There's little analysis available on the costs of using paper versus electronic ballots. Elect election technology companies are confident electronic voting is ultimately less expensive than paper ballots. However, such research has yet to be produced from a third party. The deputy director of the UN's Electoral Assistance Division noted that over the last 10 years, the UN has seen a tremendous increase in requests from different countries for assistance, both technical and financial, in updating their voting systems. He said, Well, that's that, the people, perfect people to ask. Hey, UN. <laughs> Let's ask the I'm one world us. government people. Hey, what do you hey, think? Unelected, unelected world government body. Could you come help us with our election? We'd like your opinion. <laughs> we need your help. <laughs> think, think, think about this, though. So they're saying there's this whole digital need to vote, but the government doesn't have the budget. How often do you suppose Apple gets hacked with all the security Apple's got on everything? So Apple can pull off iTunes, but uh, digital elections, that's going to be difficult. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, he said that without the availability of proper cost-benefit analysis, it is difficult for countries to decide on a sustainable path forward regarding electoral equipment. All right, next section. Electronic voting around the world. Which countries have reaped the benefits of electronic voting and what factors contribute to their sustained success? What can be learned from examples in other nations, several of which successfully implemented electronic voting for a number of years, but subsequently returned to pen and paper? 
Obstacles have ranged from opposition by organized community groups and political parties to insufficient trial periods to inadequate regulatory and certification processes. Below is a brief look, including a closer examination of several countries' experiences. In recent... I just lost my page. Get back there, you. That's what I get for having it so large. In recent years, countries in South America, Asia, and Africa have been active in conducting pilot programs using electronic voting, including Ecuador, Mexico, Nigeria, Nepal, Peru, and the United Arab Emirates. In 2014, Namibia became the first African country <clears throat> to deploy electronic voting machines for all of its 1.2 million voters, almost half of whom are under the age of 35. India and Brazil, each with more than a decade of experience using electronic voting, have shared their experiences with other countries, including providing equipment to neighboring countries to pilot electronic voting. Bhutan successfully conducted fully electronic national elections in July of 2013. Almost half of its machines were gifted by India. A more complicated picture emerged when Brazil loaned voting equipment to Paraguay. All right, so for India, with 814 million voters, India is the largest democracy in the world. Its electorate encompasses tremendous diversity of culture, languages, terrain, and socioeconomic conditions. The country began electronic voting pilots in 1982 and made continual system refinements until countrywide adoption in 2004. National elections today involve programming 1.4 million briefcase-sized, battery-operated electronic voting machines to equip 930,000 voting locations delivered using everything from trains and helicopters to mules and camels. I love that. Computers <laughs> delivered by camel. That's good. Yeah. That tells you something right there in 1982, <laughs> nonetheless. <laughs> one, one hump or two. India's internationally respected electoral commission has often been cited as the keystone of the country's successful elections. An independent constitutional body, the Election Commission of India is not a political body, and its respected status has allowed the country to implement new voting systems targeted at creating more inclusive, accurate, and legitimate elections. To expand inclusion in India, ease of use, including for the country's sizable illiterate population, was a priority in adopting, in adopting <clears throat> electronic voting. Another motivating factor was cost savings. The system was developed by the government and consists of relatively basic units manufactured for under $300 per unit. This price is extremely low compared with the $3,000 to $6,000 per unit for other, more sophisticated, available electronic voting equipment. Eliminating paper ballots saves up to 11,000 metric tons, 24 million pounds, of paper for each national election, a significant cost in environmental consideration. Transparency <laughs> is a top concern. The Indian government invites agents of political parties to check the equipment prior to, prior to deployment, and video recording of electoral preparations is standard procedure. It recently added printers to some machines to produce a VVPAT. This feature has been included in systems around the world and was piloted in India in the 2014 general election. 
The need to address issues of an expansive, diverse electorate, coupled with the country's strong independent electoral commission, created an environment receptive to electronic voting technology and has been instrumental in making India an ongoing success story. I have one question, guys. I don't know if you know the answer to this. But uh, who do they call for assistance? Ghostbusters. I was going to say it. <laughs> who do they call for cu- uh, customer service? <laughs> well, it's not it's not Diebold because they got removed <laughs> by the state of California. So what is it? Premier Voting Systems or something now? A Dominion Voting Systems. Yeah. 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 Dominion. There it is. Yeah. Not nothing to see there. I don't know, but see, they're very inclusive. What with including all the country's sizable illiterate population there. How do they do this? Do they have pictures on there? Here you go, <laughs> pick your picture. Is it like the McDonald's menu? Point to the one you want. Yes. <laughs> I mean, seriously, uh, that, that's that's a concern. You have somebody that doesn't know how to read or write voting in a national election for people to make policy. That that's not. I, I don't know. I, I understand inclusivity and stuff like that, and I understand some people don't have like all of the uh, opportunities that other people do. But how how did they vote before the electronic thing? Like, think well, about carefully. that for a minute. And I'll go I'll go to this the uh, VDPAT and your cost per vote. Uh, I, I would um, I'd be willing to bet good money that uh, the reason that India's uh, is so high is because uh, they spend most of their money. Uh, on uh, again uh, pushing the idea of legitimacy of the vote and uh, presenting people there with the idea that these electronics or means that it's uh, safe and secure and their vote counts uh, and so it really has nothing to do with the actual validity uh, of whatever they put into place it has to do with uh, selling the idea that it's valid uh, as per the entire document as their government sits in the house the queen belt right yep yeah right all right let's see where did I leave off here thanks Eric Brazil. Okay, let's get to Brazil. Hey, Eric. Thanks, buddy. Like India, Brazil has a robust, independent body dedicated to operating the country's elections. The Supreme Electoral Court organizes and conducts national elections in Brazil. The president of the TSE has described the long and trusted history of the judiciary's role in administering elections since 1932 and the critical process of rotating who sits on the court every two years. Following pilot projects in local elections in 1996, Brazil launched electronic voting as a national project in 2000 with a dedicated public information and voter education campaign. The country's National Institute for Space Research a well-respected nonpartisan technical institution developed and implemented the software and national standards for the electronic voting system. Oh dear, I hope they don't have pictures of Mars. <laughs> oh man, we we need to get NASA involved in the election. <laughs> yeah, that's that's brilliant. <laughs> get Elon Musk in there, man. He, he it's so it, I got, you know I got, it's legitimate I got the new because voting it looks so fraudulent. Guys. I got it. It's okay. We developed it at Neuralink. This institute continues to conduct independent testing and verification of Brazil's election machines. Fraud prevention and speed of ballot count were key motivators for the implementation of electronic voting. Brazil's 2014 presidential election saw 114 million ballots cast on 500,000 electronic voting units deployed across this huge and geographically diverse country. Election results were released within just two hours of polling stations closing. The voting system in Brazil is widely accepted as legitimate by domestic actors and Mm -hmm. international observers alike. 
Political parties are given access to the voting machine software for auditing, and in 2009, the country hosted a hackathon, where 38 participants from private and public information technology companies working in teams tried unsuccessfully to tamper with the equipment software. It's not always about the software, as we've said a hundred times tonight. As part of the continuing process of technology upgrade, fingerprint biometric voter identification was incorporated into the system in 2012, with project completion slated for 2018. By educating the electorate on the benefits of electronic voting, the TSC was able to modernize the voting system of Brazil while maintaining the people's trust. Implementing and updating the system successfully tackled key issues, including accuracy and speed of ballot counting and reporting. All right. So again, it's all it's all about their trust, right? And if you take the TSE twice, you get a Titsi fly. Well, (laughs) think about what's actually going on when you're polled. Isn't it more likely that what you're doing is you're lending a signature, um, you're signing on to the process, and thereby letting them collect your tacit permission for the fraud that they're conducting, basically? That's the etymology of the word vote is to to give your permission you you it's um uh, like um by proxy right you, you give them the right <laughs> so yeah um that's what it is and here here's my question it says as part of the ongoing process of technology upgrade fingerprint biometric voter identification was incorporated into the system in 2012 with project completion slated for 2018 okay so Where's the privacy of what your your vote was, if that's the case? If they have your biometric data, they, they know exactly who you are and how you voted. I mean, that's that like doesn't that uh, invalidate the whole process of anonymity with your vote? Like nobody should know your vote. Like why do they they try so hard to keep it like secret and private who you voted for or, or what your vote was if you you're biometrically tagged it to the person um it's i don't know it just boggles the mind man it it just really does it just shows you how invasive like a lot of these things are and how they're they could even use something like this for biometric id collection uh it's it's more information gathering right there so now they they have your your political leanings as well tied right to your biometric data Uh, it's it's crazy and And uh, that goes along with the technocracy idea as well but again, if you every at every step through this document, the points are made. Uh, it's all about selling its legitimacy to the people. Uh, so long as they believe it, doesn't really matter. Uh, they're giving short shrift to the idea of real um, legitimacy. Uh, of course, we, and we know that again. <laughs> even was it was it Stalin that said uh, that it, it matters not who cast the ballots. The only thing that matters is who counts them. Right. And ultimately, uh, if you limit the choices, as they do here, <laughs> even that doesn't matter. Absolutely. It's who counts it and or what counts it for that matter. And if you're talking about something where you could manipulate uh, the machine at a hardware level to do the counting, there you go. It's game over. Yeah, but the, even getting back to the point that uh, the, the whole premise is a fraud, right? That uh, it's it's the illusion of inclusivity. Yeah, you, so, you really – you got to say which piece of shit is your ruler now. <laughs> who's, your, who's your slave master, this guy or that guy? How is it that all the you know educated people in this country have been okay with the number of presidents that supposedly got the popular vote and were seated anyhow? I think Trump was supposedly one of them. Mm-hmm. But to make the point – um, those dudes that run the show Pawn Star, um, their ancestor 
is one of those presidents that was seated against the popular vote. So of all the million people, millions and millions of people who have existed since that president, how is it that those dudes got the TV show Pawn Star? But my point being is if you have a single election where the vote was higher made by the people than the Electoral College seating the president, doesn't that prove beyond doubt that no voting is going on? <laughs> yeah, it does, man. And then just to, you know, and added aside to that pawn stars uh yeah uh how much could you give me for this barack obama now nah, best i could do for you man is sniffy the wonder course <laughs> that's what you're getting <laughs> <laughs> but we'll make it robust <laughs> yes, it will yes with robust feedback yes apparently alice cooper wants to be elected to what <laughs> I'm making a joke from his 70s song that everyone <laughs> thought was just riotous music, but actually had much deeper meaning. That that school's not out a, forever. That's not a stupid man. All right. The way f- I'm going to jump down here because we're running low on time. So the way forward within a contentious electoral environment. Elections, by their very nature, are emotional, taking place in highly charged political environments where stakes are high. When examining voting system options, the importance of evidence-based decision-making in a collaborative process is critical to enhancing credibility and fostering trust. Political parties, civil society, and independent electoral bodies must all play an active role in determining the myriad criteria for a legitimate and credible election. Unanimous support is not necessary, but building partnerships and fostering dialogue among all stakeholders and incorporating their concerns and ideas in an open, transparent process helps avoid contentious, polarized rhetoric surrounding voting systems. Collaborative efforts also help clarify objectives about electoral processes and address misconceptions. Lessons learned from worldwide experience emphasize the importance of establishing and communicating clear goals and expectations when a government is contemplating the implementation of various voting systems, whether for the first time or due to the need to replace aging voting equipment. Strategic planning encompasses visualizing the future, including taking into account general generational considerations and expectations in much of the world. Aging and disabled populations are growing, and the capabilities of election technology to improve the voting experience for these populations is significant. Similarly, the lives of younger voters are increasingly defined by the digital world, and they will want the elections process to reflect the rest of their lives. As they enter the electorate, will young citizens eschew participation if it feels increasingly antiquated and foreign? Additionally, population mobility impacts enfranchisement issues for citizens away from their home districts on Election Day, including overseas and military voters. These concerns highlight the need to reimagine the use of technology in the electoral process. So what do you think, ladies and gentlemen, they're going to propose? I know! Internet voting! A new frontier, because that's perfectly safe! Hey, 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 Rocky. Yeah, you want to see me pull a rabbit out of my hat, Jason? Do you remember the... Yeah, do you want to... Do you remember the the name of the act that makes us enemy combatants from 33? Do you recall, Jason? Uh, Anyhow, there's an an actor in the or whatever the hell it's called that's been in place at least since 33, probably since 13, in one shape or form. Point is, is every president that takes his seat in Washington, D.C., has to renew it. And what it does is it ma- maintains your status as in the society 
you are an enemy combatant and without rights and lost at sea and all these other things. Every single president since 1933, to include Trump and Obama and everyone else, has renewed this status injuring, I think it's an act. So isn't that isn't that Crow um, part of the 1876 um, uh, Articles of Incorporation that make um, because it was during the reunification process that they considered every citizen a hostile combatant. And it's uh, been going since then. They may have revised it in 33, but I'm pretty well, sure. KL and Ken Cousins both did versions of it, but it got formalized, I think. 1913 was a key date, if I remember correctly, but I know certainly in 33, after the whole stock market crash, it was all right. about debt. So part of it was using all the living men and women as securitized assets, basically. Um, but it just goes to show you, how can it be possible that government at any level has ever mattered when there is a process in place that takes the executive, it takes them all. All three branches are complicit in ensuring this thing gets renewed right along. And what it's basically doing is making you an enemy of the state. Enemy and of the state, as, yep. as such, an enemy combatant is the official words. As such, you have no standing, which the episode we're putting out tonight goes into great deal about talking about jurisdiction and how you have no standing to the point where he says, don't go on the battlefield. You don't want to be there. You have no standing. Mm. And so how can it be that voting or any of it has ever mattered when you know every one of these dudes has renewed your status as an enemy combatant? And by the way, that's why the gold fringe is on the damn flag everywhere. That's not yep. just there for being pretty. It's not? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. Yes. But AP said, okay, so – Online activity has become ubiquitous, from shopping to banking to hailing a ride service at the click of a button. The opportunity to vote online is tantalizing. However, widespread documented instances of internet hacking of commercial and government databases spark concerns about potential security breaches to a near-deafening volume when discussing online voting. Oh, okay, yeah, and, and just to make the point, if anybody doesn't know what the dark web is, uh, well, anyway... Despite the challenges, several countries are pioneers in this new frontier. These countries offer voters or a subset of voters, such as military and overseas citizens, the option of voting online from personal computers. The overriding motivations... Oh yeah, they're overriding, all right. Uh, for this paradigm shift are providing greater accessibility and convenience for voters and increasing voter turnout. This brief glimpse reveals where and how online voting is currently available and where and why other online voting pilot projects have stalled or been abandoned. So we're just about out of time. Let's show you the countries here. It says Estonia. Uh, let's see. Go down. Go down. Stupid document. Switzerland. Other countries experimenting with online voting. 13 countries have conducted online voting trials. Since 2003, several municipalities in Ontario, Canada have suffered, have offered <laughs> online voting. They've also suffered. <laughs> oh, they suffered. Increase. Wow, that's a Freudian slip. Uh, of up to 16% of voters choosing this option. In France, online voting offered to out-of-country voters resulted in 310,000 expatriates voting online in the 2009 national election. In Australia, land of the let's stomp you down with a big old boot, the state of New South Wales conducted an internet pilot in March of 2015 in which 280,000 or 5% of the voters chose to vote online. By contrast, 
Norway recently decided to discontinue online voting following trials in 2011 and 2013 due to lack of evidence of increased voter turnout and concerns with security risks. In the United States, security concerns halted the Pentagon's planned rollout in 2000 of the Serve system, designed to provide an online voting option for military and overseas voters. More recently, West Virginia teamed with eight volunteer countries... Uh, counties, excuse me, to offer online voting for military and overseas citizens in the 2010 elections, resulting in a higher ballot return rate by participating voters. <clears throat> Go down. Highlighting the unique challenges faced by military voters, the National Defense Committee authored a letter in 2013 signed by 17 computer scientists imploring the U.S. Congress to restore millions of previously allocated Defense Department appropriations to enable research and development of reasonable solutions for sufficiently secure online voting for military voters. Okay, I don't understand one iota how a military voter could be an issue considering they know where you are at as a military person at all times. So what's the issue? Uh, this is where we're voting today, men. You go there. <laughs> yeah, seriously, when you think about it, like, why would that be an issue? Like, it really shouldn't. No. I understand, okay, they might be representing their home area or something, but uh, at, at least, like you said, they, they know where they're at at all times. So I, I don't know why it's such a huge problem that they need to actually you know, set this up so that they could vote via the internet because what could possibly go wrong? Well, with the data collection, you could argue that knowing what wisdom of the crowd is lots of large numbers or any of that, that any one of these places with lots of data could easily know to a 98, 99% certainty if there was in fact any fraud. But more than that, a year before an election, understand what the outcome would be if there were actual voting. That's the power of data. So if you really want to scrutinize what's going on here um shortly we'll probably all have ids to get on the web at all but i was going to comment if you use facetime it would be impossible for election fraud in the word they're describing it okay let's get down to the last section here on recommendations more information is needed on many aspects of the electoral process and the potential impact of an expanded use of technology the following recommendations address some of the obstacles to greater use of election technology with an eye towards its responsible implementation first one the debate about electronic technology in elections is adrift without a comprehensive financial analysis the second one, international guidelines are needed to foster system legitimacy. Oh, really? Why is that? Why do we need international guidelines for individual countries? I'm sorry. I'm a bit of a United States nationalist. Let's see. Come on, document move. And well, you know, that, brings, that, that brings up another question, though, Jason. Look at all the services that I basically bailed from because they notified everyone they were going to be under EU guidelines. So when you start talking about voting online, uh, I think by proxy you can understand that EU guidelines would apply to these systems, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Why do we so have to we be under their be under the EU thumb, yeah. Well, they, they spent years showing how the EU actually had better privacy things in place. Um, so they spent years touting it up before I started. I, th I think it was the course of six months, every single service that I had uh, early on in the podcast, I was notified that I'd be pulled under EU services, which is why I started pulling everything to a private server. 
All right, let's wrap this up. Success follows independent electoral bodies. Currently, there is great diversity in the way democracies organize the administration of elections and how election management bodies are structured. While there is no single successful blueprint as highlighted herein, countries with robust, autonomous, and permanent electoral institutions that are free from politically motivated manipulation garner respect. Electoral bodies should be comprised of a cadre of election experts familiar with their country's electoral laws, experiences, and overall best practices. By maintaining political independence and by engaging the full range of election stakeholders in the election process, election management bodies can be a source of knowledge and credibility to support transparent, inclusive, legitimate elections. Political leaders of democracies need to provide election bodies with the funding and tools required to administer the election process in a way that safeguards public integrity and credibility in the democratic process. This includes the kind of support to acquire technology, engage in research to improve the registration and voting process, and adhere to recognized election standards. Brazil, India, Mexico, and South Africa are among noteworthy examples that merit praise for their strong, independent, and effective electoral institutions. Other mm. democracies, new and old, should look to them as models. All right. And there you go. There a you go. Model. Yes, it, it would have to be a very robust model uh, and have overall best practices from, you know, these nations known for their stunningly uh, effective democracies brazil india mexico and south africa <laughs> yeah mexico is a model yeah 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 no corruption yeah. there really no absolutely I mean, none no, no cartels no. at all no, no nothing like it's that. where all the leftover cocaine comes from that's where it's at that's exactly <laughs> that's where it goes <laughs> I, i'm amused because i knew they were going to go there like reading this whole stupid document i knew they were going to go there at the end what do they propose let's use the internet <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of course. What no. could possibly go wrong? Let's let's use the one thing that is the most vulnerable thing on planet Earth. No, no, we're not going to use the internet. Absolutely not. So they'll probably be doing that next week. Yeah. Uh, and, and despite all the jokes, I got to just uh, say that I I really I don't like cocaine. I just like the smell. All right, you're you're not a fan <laughs> of old sniffer, are you? <laughs> are you smelling what I'm stepping in there? No. It's good. Uh, hey Bob, that's awesome. And you had to go through your VPN to do that, huh? Thank you. Yeah, that's very cool of you. Thanks, man. All right. Well, that's going to do that. Of course, they brought it down to the internet. They're going to propose that. Why? Because, of course, that is the easiest, easiest thing to manipulate ever. So, anyway, anybody got any final thoughts of that, or shall we wrap her up? Uh, I'll go. I'll go first with my final thoughts for the evening because I got. I got to get out of here. But um, I'm going to say what I've been uh, saying for the last week. Fuck the fucking fuckers. <laughs> that's all I got. And to that's say. the way it is. And that's the way that is. So there you go. Uh, fuck the fucking fuckers, and I'm out. Thanks, guys. I've uh, had a great night. Good night, uh, Baldini. And, and that's uh, the bottom line because bald guy said so. <laughs> yeah. And for those of you who follow who follow the Poppycock Report, uh, I may be out tomorrow. So Rose Triple Seven will soldier on in my absence. Uh, I may slip in right at the very end, but I uh, had some stuff that I got uh, came up last minute, so I'll be out early in the morning. But hey, thanks guys. It's always a pleasure, Crow. Great to speak with you again. Uh, always wisdom and leftover cocaine. <laughs> Chow mein. Chow mein. Take take care, guys. I'll see and you later. And another one. All right. Good night, man. Uh, Wayne, anything you want to throw in? I think uh, one of the important takeaways is uh, 
you know, from this document is they're more concerned with what the public perception of the election is. Because that's what they said over and over and over again. Right. That's whether or not it's accurate or has any integrity behind it. That's that's not what they're looking for. They're just looking for people to actually believe that this election thing is legitimate. And that's all they care about. So even though they're choosing a means here that could be very easily manipulated, um, that they're doing that on purpose. I mean, they want to they want to have this option to be able to manipulate it how they see fit. But their primary concern is, will the public believe it? And and that's what their concern is. So that's why they want to go with like this whole, uh, you know, electronic voting thing, because by and large, the, the way our society is right now, people are hooked on their technology. They trust their technology um, more than, uh, you know, human error uh, to a certain degree. So that's kind of where we're at. So they see this as being, OK, if we could convince people the machine is unbiased, the machine is going to uh, actually count the tallies the, the proper way. Uh, and it's it's secure. And now they even introduced a, a little bit of a different idea into uh, this election cycle we're in right now. They introduced the idea that uh, they were claiming, OK, some some right wing groups, whether it was came from Q or where it came from. Trust the plan. I don't quite remember, but they were claiming that uh, somehow uh, the Trump administration put some kind of a watermark uh on these these different ballots that uh, was actually registered through blockchain to, to tie it in. So they're implanting the idea to people that should they actually decide to do this, they could link these ballots to a blockchain utility and therefore you can't really tamper with it. It would be it would be shown if it was uh, you know tampered with that way. So they're introducing this idea along with the idea of this online voting. So I guarantee that's probably what they would want to do with this is, first of all, your voter ID would be an all-electronic ID, which would probably be biometrically linked to you, and it would be uh, tracked through a blockchain utility. Uh, that's my guess as to how they would go ahead and try to implement this whole uh, uh, internet voting idea. But you see how they're introducing it here uh, in this policy paper from you know uh, 2016 that we're looking at. So you can see there. This is the buildup for that, and they're going to use this election cycle here. No matter what the outcome is, they're going to use that as an excuse to implement this kind of a thing: the internet voting, the electronic voting, so that this never happens again. Yeah, I could see. Uh, you know, that would be the political motivation of what's going on with this. Oh, they're so. going to do something with the nonsense that's going on right now. You know, they're going to say something sometime in the next couple of months. Oh, absolutely. And this is actually kind of one of the reasons why people would probably endorse like an Internet voting type system that's secured via blockchain and this and that and the other thing uh, to try to prevent something from like this from happening again in the future. So they'll use this as the perfect crisis to introduce this idea. And, you know, it's one step closer into uh, technocracy, which is exactly where we're heading. And, you know, I would argue we're already there to a certain degree, but it's just a matter of getting us to all step in line with what they want with this kind of a thing and getting your biometric data in the database in every facet of your life, in every facet of your, you know, behavior. So this is a big part of that. And that way they could actually have everybody on a voter roll. Uh, this is a way to potentially get everybody 
registered to vote is to you know make it a, on a blockchain utility uh your biometric identification along with it it's tied directly to your voter id and whether you choose to vote or not it's still up to you but they have you registered so should you want to place a vote or should they want to coerce you into voting or make it look like you actually placed a vote in one way shape or form they could do that so it, you know it's it's really kind of a hairy situation uh, much like joe biden's legs so <laughs> <laughs> Well, all, but, all this all, all this gives me a new brilliant idea, and I'll give it to someone out there. Maybe someone will do it. So since all this is nonsense, and the thing that matters is the Electoral College, wouldn't it be great to announce that you're a patriotic American and you're going to do a film covering the Electoral College? Here's the rub. I'm guessing you would be offered no access. But if you filmed the whole process of trying to do a film and trying to get access to the Electoral College, it would be very telling to a lot of people. What do you think? Is that a good idea? I like it. I like it. It'd be interesting because I'm guessing the doors would not be flying open. No, yeah. I would guess they probably would not. No, because it would, you know, a five-year-old could walk in there and ask three questions that would tumble the, the fake edifice. All right, Crow. Do you want to talk about what we're releasing at midnight here? Was it 268, I think, goes out uh, just about an hour with Ken Cousins, also known as Kenneth Scott from Gemstone University and Pantera. Um, it's another one of these kind of in the vein of KL, if you remember that broad spectrum approach where people have been at this for decades and they're starting to put a bow around what they've figured out with regard to where we are, what we're subject to, and how to deal with it or remove yourself or simply interact with the system without getting your butt handed to you all the time. Um, this one, I don't know, what was it, Jason? Three parts. This may come in three parts over time. Um, but these things, it's important to get all this on the record because, I mean, we're heading into a new age and things are going to change. Just a question of whether we participate in the change or we don't. That's for sure. All right, that's going to do it. Oh, by the way, we have already got in the bag uh, an episode with, uh, well, first of all, the the long-awaited we've been discussing, uh, <laughs> uh, what we call it, Crow, a continuation on the exploration of color. We cut that one yeah. this morning, so that's going to be the next episode being released after, after uh, Ken. And uh, we also recorded with a gentleman named Dylan Siracho, Siraco, how do we pronounce his name? He's the author of a book um, called sec – Second ones. The second two C's are soft. Yeah. Sakashio. Sakashio. There we go. I know we were both taking pot shots at that one. Sorry. Sorry, Dylan. You're awesome. Uh, but he's he's uh, authored three books uh, called Spirit World, and then I don't remember what the other two are, but it's all about – man, he's all-inclusive. I, I mean how would you even describe those, Crow? He, he did a hell of a job. He's young, which I was shocked when we met him. I think he's only 37 or 37, something like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. but. Basically, he is the proof that what enclaves of us have tried to do online is going to get picked up by the younger generation, brilliant minds. It's going to get collated. So what I learned over here is going to come to what I'm learning over here and over there, and I'm going to pull it all together, and I'm going to start to formalize it. A lot of it, like I, we, we opened that episode, like the Bible is always a big problem because of the importance of what the Bible is, but the downside of how it's been used and how people view it. It's not an easy thing to talk about because people get mad because they don't want to have to throw away a thing they think has been this way when it's really some other way. 
But I open up with him, if you recall, Jason, saying, I'm going to give you scripture. You tell me what time of the year it is, remember? And <laughs> yeah. he hit every one of them on the head, yep. and we had no setup, no queue up, which proves beyond dispute that two minds can meet and get to a deeper level that relates to the creation itself, not just some religious construct, some dude in black taught you how to think about. And by the way, in the color episode, (laughs) we're going to tell you a thing about why those dudes in black are wearing black. They're probably not aware of it, but the people who designed the costume out of the gate, they sure as hell knew. Why does the judge wear black? Why does the priest wear black? Same Mm. reason. All right, that's going to do it. Oh, and then we also did record uh, with... uh, our friend Mark Passio again, who's fantastic. That's right. That yeah. was a great show, I thought, actually. Uh, first part was on um, uh, anarchy. I think I'm getting right. tired. Anarchy. And the second down. part was on the four uh, pillars of Satanism. It's a Satanism, and Mark had first-hand, first-hand experience hand, with you, that. So He was a priest in the Satan movement as a young man. And I uh, like and that the, we clarified what exactly this crap means because there's so much uh, just confusion and obfuscation and Hollywood horseshit. Mark did a damn good job of of just really getting across what it is and what it is not important, most importantly. We simplify it. And, you know, people that have come around like Crowley have proved it. It's just that people have been sold all these literal stories that are so embedded in the social consciousness all across this place we call Earth. Um, You can boil down what Satanism in a single word. It's selfishness, basically. Um, But there's some good episodes on the way. All right, Wayne, you got anything else you want to talk about that you're up to? I just released a uh, video on my channel, Alchemical Tech Revolution, last night. Uh, That one is actually titled The Secret Instructions of the Jesuits. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's an old book I came across. It was a book published in 1857, and it was actually a a translation of a book in Latin that came out sometime in the 1600s exposing uh, what the Jesuit order is up to. And, uh, you know, this was actually uh, some writings that were uh, obtained, I think it was in 1608, from a Jesuit university. Um, and it turns out that uh, it's it's a very interesting history there as to what the Jesuits uh, were formed for primarily and what they they had done in the past and what they were known for and that they had actually been disbanded for a time and then reinstated by uh, the pope in i think it was 1814 uh you know and it's it's really an interesting read so i go through the introductory section of that um so people could check that out over on my channel um, also, I, my new book is out if people weren't aware, so you could check that out. That one's called Cybernetic Messiah, Building the Antichrist System. That's available now. Uh, it should be out in the major retail markets everywhere at this point, I would think. Uh, Do your books you go in order? Like, did, what, As you've uh, done the topics, would you say one leads to the next to the next? Uh, not necessarily. I think maybe reading... Uh, you know, my first book, The Alchemical Tech Revolution, might give you a little better insights into some of the things I'm talking about in the other two. But uh, I, I tend to try and write these as if the person who's picking up the book doesn't really know, like, a lot of the other material that I've written about before. So I, I try to keep it so that you don't have to read all the books in order to understand what exactly is going on. Because, you know, I just 
take the information as I find it and try to reduce it down to the best layman's terms I can so people could understand it and get a good comprehension of it. So I try to simplify complex ideas and make them, you know, uh, more understandable for people and, you know, try to break it down so that your average person who doesn't know a lot of this uh, quote-unquote type conspiracy-type material or whatever you want to call it, truth or movement stuff, occult knowledge, anything of that sort, um, I try to make it as basic and simple as possible for people. So if people would uh, like to pick that up and, and give it a read and see what they think, I'd appreciate that. Uh, other than that, got nothing else going on right now. All right, we will wrap her up. Let me unleash the treasure chest on the D-Live. Release the hounds. Release the kraken. All right. I loved that movie when I was a kid. All right. There we go, and that works. All right, guys, thank you so much, for everyone, for being here. We had a great turnout. Sorry I didn't really get a chance to pay much attention to the chat room. I, I think I read three-quarters of this episode, but... You're going to have that. And that's going to do it, guys. Thank you so much, and we'll see you again next week.